Yo, what up, Danny? Hey, how's it going, Ty? Well, I didn't even ask you before the show. What number episode is this? We are in 160. We're doing pretty good. 160? Creeping, creeping 160? on up. Yeah, man. Yeah, 40 away from that 200? We'll be there 60. in no time. <laughs> be there in no time. Exactly. So, we're almost at the time of year, so we got to start it off right. And I know what you did last summer. <laughs> and I think I know what we're going to be doing this summer. Yeah, I think you're right. And that's going to be getting high. <laughs> I've been doing that the last almost shit 20 plus summers. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Like I said, we'll be covering I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is going to be fun because I haven't <laughs> seen this movie since. Gosh, it's been a hot minute for me too. At the latest, like I think the last time I watched this probably would have been like 2001 at the Gosh. latest. Yeah, all the way through, I, I would say yeah, that might even be a stretch for me to be honest may yeah well maybe oh three yeah maybe oh three anyway before we get there i just got done talking about digimon for two hours and i have not been high i mean i got high before i did that but yeah i haven't gotten high in between so let's do our green hits yeah dude for sure so i can lead off i'll let you know what i brought over this week so well, and i loaded up a little bit of that too and i'm nice. not bringing anything new so i'll let you just talk about this strain this yeah, week and no problem so the piece that i broke off for the both of us is i've got some golden ticket which is a hybrid it's also known as mr dank so with oh. that in mind this is a 50-50 hybrid strain. It says that it gives you special access to Euphoria's top floor. It combines the genetics from Golden Goat and Faceoff OG. It has a full body relaxation with invigorating cerebral qualities. It says its aroma is an enticing mix of tangy lemon, sweet lime, and sour skunk. Keep in mind, Golden Ticket may also refer to a phenotypic variation of Chernobyl, which is also a hybrid. So the terpene profile that you'll get is the fruity, which we've already talked about before in the past, which is typically the limonene where you get that lemony, almost that liney taste mm -hmm. and smell. It has a very herbal and piney scent too. So that's what we're going to be ripping out of these bongs. And then... In the joint, I did bring over another oh, new strain. right. Some Durban Poison? Yeah, I brought some DP Ooh. over, which is a pure sativa. The terpene profile on that guy, it's very similar. It's very fruity. It's very herbal, and it has a little bit of a minty taste as well. I've seen the menu from your shop. As I remember, their Durban Poison, pretty percentage heavy on the THC, This guy right? is like in the mid-20s. I mid want to say it was okay. like... Uh, Maybe I was thinking of something else. For some reason, I was thinking it was just below 30. I want to say the chem was like around the 30s. Oh, okay. But the Durban Poison at my shop, I think it's like right at 25%, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, still not bad. No, especially for a sativa, you're going to be really in the head, which is good because, you know, it's going to make us a little bit chirpy. But for those who are curious, because it is a pure sativa, it originates from the South African port city of Durban, where it gets oh. its name from. It's gained popularity worldwide because of its sweet smell and energetic, uplifting effects. A uh, little side note, won't mention names, but I do have a family member who mentioned to me that they were growing some Durban poison and that it got so, quote unquote, loud that they had to chop it down. It was like it stunk oh, up the whole fucking neighborhood. He said he got paranoid because he could smell it walking down the road. Damn. <laughs> Didn't realize it was his until they came back. So it's like, wow. Okay, that's good to know. I guess what I am bringing to the table today is we got some new paraphernalia. Yeah. While recording Evil Bong, or not even while recording, while I was doing research so we could record Evil Bong, 
I sort of realized I had never bought a bong. Oh, wow. I've owned a few bongs because sometimes you just end up with shit. That's you know true. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's very Like, true. the one I have is one that when Jesse moved out of here, he didn't want to take with him because I think he had, like, just gotten a job or something and was worried about getting pissed. I don't remember. Jesse, why did you leave your bong? <laughs> I know you listen. Yeah, anyway. hit us up. <laughs> anyway, Jesse left me with his bong, and that's the one that I've had all this time. Nothing wrong with it. I have fond memories of it. Yeah. Just not one I bought myself, not one I picked out myself. So I wanted to change that. And so I got really stoned the other night. <laughs> this was a few weeks ago now, because it was whenever we were doing. Right, know. it makes sense. And just searched around some online, found some I liked, ordered these from Hemper. So these are all from Hemper.com, nice. rocking the Hemper bongs. I have the Lunar Lander in front of me, and it's a double bubble. Yeah, dude. <laughs> some of those shower head perks. If I'm going to be completely honest, it doesn't hit as smooth as I'd like. Like, I wish there was more airflow. I feel like whenever I hit it, just not enough air is coming through. That being said, the double bubble makes the smoothness of what I'm actually hitting enough that it is still fucking scary to hit this because you <laughs> do not realize how much you're taking in. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Now Ripped. I'm stoned, yeah. man. So. Which, that's kind of a fun sensation, too, because we've been kind of spoiled with our vaporizers and things like that. So it's a little different high in that sense. But when you go back to like an OG way of smoking, yeah, it's a little different sensation. And then when I ordered, I ordered enough that it came with some freebies. One of the freebies, I'm like, I will keep that nice and pristine and COVID-free, <laughs> so that when you come over, we can both rip a bong. Oh, nice, so you have the hamper, I think it's called like the coin bong or something. It, it looks nice. like a fucking coin. This is a nice little piece, man. And honestly, just looking at it, I have a feeling that is going to actually rip harder than off. this one. <laughs> right. Well, if, if you hear me gagging, you'll know why. So I'm going to get at it, though. Okay, well, cool, man. And then I'll uh, tag in right behind you. Oh, yeah, she got me. <laughs> and I still have yet to come up with names for these, too. Well, they're still my, my trend for the past, like, five years have been, all of my pieces have been comic book name-based. Nice. Considering I bought these mostly because we do do fried squirms, I might have to find some way to work in some horror. Nice, man. So we'll see what names these actually end up with, but it still might just be, like, comic books. So take this with a grain of salt. Now, this is <laughs> this is going to be a little fucked up sounding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but considering what year we're in and the circumstances we're underneath, it's like, I was thinking, I was like, you know, it might be a little insensitive, but now if you're going to name any piece this, this would be the year, is call it Covey Bryant. Covey. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I don't think either of these pieces would be a good No, I was just good joking for that name. <laughs> I, just, I was just teasing. Dude, I would, I would do it. But I, I feel like neither of these pieces have that personality, no, just looking no. at them. No. This is not a Black Mamba piece. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm going gonna, gonna to try to rip this guy up and let you know how it hits. And Nobody's hit anything. that yet, so. Oof. Virgin. Breaking it in. Super smooth. Oof. That looked yeah. like it ripped. Easy. Like, really smooth, man. Yeah, this is a nice piece, man. Yeah, cool. That has me excited. No complaints, but I think you're right. I can already feel a little tingling, <laughs> which is good. I'm going to put that down before I get a little too ripped. But Well, we're getting stoned. Let's move into the guts and bolts. 
Guts and Bolts. Alright, Guts and Bolts. I know what you did last summer. I'm not just telling you. <laughs> I'm hoping that you listened to our podcast last summer. Yeah, because I don't know that you did. This might be your first episode. Well, cool. I mean, if this is your first episode, then this is the part where we talk about who and what went into this movie. Spoiler free. Right. Give you some warnings towards Give the Give you a little end. bit of warnings in case you don't know what you're getting into. Maybe you're listening to this because you're like, I've been thinking about seeing this movie. Right. And you're still What do on these the stoners fence? think of it? Exactly. So we're here to kind of upsell the film a little bit to you. So spoiler free synopsis. I mean, there's not much in this movie that can be considered a spoiler because the premise is maybe one of the biggest spoilers of the entire movie. Right, 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 right. And it's about a group of teens that run into and kill a guy after they've been drinking and having sex on the beach <laughs> and dump the body. And then a year later, they start getting warnings and threats. And it's a slasher. So guess what? Right. And guess what those letters say? <laughs> I know what you did last summer. <laughs> right, and that really, it does. It, it, I know. It kickstarts the whole thing, so. So that's what the movie is. Like, that's the whole premise, right? Right, right, right. So knowing that, and knowing that we like to talk about the people who go into making the film, whether they're behind the camera or in front, this week I'm going to lead off with our director. His name is Jim Gillespie, and he's known for directing, actually, some music videos. He's done a few Queen music videos. One of them happened to be Mother Love, and the other one was Made in Heaven. Hmm. He's also gone on to direct such films as I See You, the film Venom, and Billionaire Ransom. This isn't Venom like Tom Hardy Venom. No. Marvel Venom. This is an older movie. Just in case any of you heard Venom and were like, Uh, oh shit, that guy? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. Different person. All right, so our writers on this, Lois Duncan, she was actually credited for writing the novel back in 1973, which this film is loosely based upon. And Kevin Williamson is actually a gentleman we've talked about before because he's responsible for writing the screenplay and basing all the characters on the Scream franchise. Some other works of note that Kevin has done are the films The Faculty, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, Dawson's Creek, he's the creator, and that ran from 1998 through 2003. He's also known for The Following, which he was the creator of that television series as well from 2013 through 15, and more recently, The Vampire Diaries from 2009 through Hmm. 2017. So he's got some pretty major names to his credit, especially on the WB. (laughs) All right, we have cinematographer Dennis Crossan, and this gentleman's known for his works on the films Blue Ice, the film The Real McCoy. You might know his works from the Agent Cody Banks films, one and two. He's also known for his work on The Pink Panther Part Two, the film Urban Hymn, Billionaire Ransom, and more recently the film Asher. The editor on this was Steve Merkovich, and Steve actually has got some really fucking cool credits to his name. When you start looking back, early on, one of my favorite movies, period. You could say Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, I'd argue, period. (laughs) And that movie is Big Trouble in Little China. He's also edited the films Prince of Darkness, Friday the 13th Part 8, that's Jason Takes Manhattan, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Part 2, The Secret of the Ooze. You might have seen his work on the film Necessary Roughness, which is a film I watched a lot with my brother back in the day. He's also known for his work on the film Fire in the Sky, which is a really, really good film. I had to look that up just to make sure it was the right film, (laughs) coincidentally enough. He's also known for editing such films as Con Air, 
the film ICU, 16 Blocks, The Passion of the Christ, One Miss Call. He's done such things as Alien Abduction, Hardcore Henry, and uh, more recently, the film Rings and Escape Room. The music, we've actually talked about this gentleman before because this gentleman is John Debney. We talked about him on episode 151 because he helped compose some music for the film End of Days. But going through a little bit of his filmography, if you're a 90s kid... So I was going to say, so 1997, 1999, this was like his heyday, right? Like, like it started like 1990. <laughs> I checked this out. It started with Jetsons the movie. Okay. Skip forward to 93, you've got Hocus Pocus. Oh, shit. Okay. 94, you've got White Fang 2 and Little Giants. Oh, fuck. I love Little Giants. Right? Let's see. Moving along to 97. Annexation of Puerto Rico, bitch. Yeah. No, that's a good film, man. This year, 97 specifically, The Relic, Liar Liar, and this film. I know what you did last summer. Okay. Here's some inside baseball for y'all. I kind of picked I Know You Did Last Summer. Because we were like, we hadn't done 90s in a bit. Not since end of days. Right, right, right. And even that is like tail end of the 90s. The whole point is it's tail end of the 90s. Right, I mean, the whole film is about going into the new millennium, yeah. So I was like, okay, what's something 90s? What's something 90s? What's... And I did a mental coin toss in my head and came up with, I know what you did last summer. Nice. But the other side of that coin was the relic. Oh, nice. <laughs> I would have been fine either way. That's good to know, but check out 1999. It starts off with My Favorite Martian, the film Inspector Gadget, the movie Dick. Christopher Lloyd, My Favorite Martian? Yeah. Okay. Dude. I remember wanting to like that a lot more than I did. <laughs> yeah, he's actually done some pretty cool stuff in the 2000s. Uh, the film The Replacements. I love that film. I love man. The Replacements. That movie's so good. Spy Kids, uh, Jimmy Neutron, The Princess Diaries, The Scorpion King. The Tuxedo, which uh, one of the actresses we're going to be talking about in a little while was in that film. Malibu's Most Wanted. <laughs> the Whole Ten Yards, which actually, those were some pretty entertaining films. Spider-Man Part 2. Sin City. I mean, that film I just talked about earlier, Venom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, if you look at his filmography, I mean, there's so many films that we we're so familiar with. It's hard to list them all. Because I'm on here on the wiki, and it's just like, it's just like man, I can't name all these films. There's right. too many. <laughs> so check them out. I know we've talked about them before because of End of Days. All right, so moving along, we have producers Stokely Schaffen, Eric Feig, and Neil H. Moritz. The production companies on this were Mandalay Entertainment. They helped present the film Original, which was a part of a Neil H. Moritz production, you know who Neil H. Moritz is? Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, he produced the latest two Goosebumps movies. No kidding. And they're in production on a show right now. Wow. Well, there you go. Still relevant. I got to bring that exact story up just like two hours ago <laughs> on General Nerdy. So it's a cool crossover. Cross-promotion. Cross yeah, I'm yeah. like, as soon as you said Neil Moritz, I'm like, I just took notes on him, <laughs> but not for this movie. That's pretty wild, isn't it? <laughs> there you go. Just another name to his credit. And the other production company I have on this, that although they went uncredited, were Summer Knowledge LLC. All right, this movie was distributed by Columbia Pictures and Sony Pictures, releasing back in 1997 for the United States theatrical release. It had a release date on October 9th, 1997 in Austin, here in the United States at the Austin Film Festival, and then statewide on October 17th, 1997. It had an estimated budget of about $17 million. It did pretty decent worldwide. Jesus. Yeah, 125 was, yeah. No big deal, whatever. <laughs> I think here in the States, it was like close to 80 I And then overseas, it was like okay. close to 50 somewhere in that range. All right, I do have several taglines, but only 
chose two. There were several on this one, but I was like, all right, let me, let me try this. <laughs> all right, the first one I have is what started as a new beginning is becoming a dead end. Yeah, okay. And the second one I have is not all secrets stay buried. That's the one I've seen most often. Yeah. And there's several more, but I'm like, ah, these two are a little bit more fitting. All right, so moving along, I'm going to go into the cast of I Know What You Did Last Summer. And not that we have to really mention who these people are, because you should know, especially if you're a product of those time periods. But I'm going to lead off with Jennifer Love Hewitt, who plays the role of Julie James in this film. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, if you're a kid of the 90s, especially a dude. <laughs> yeah. I'm both of them. Oh, yeah. Hands down. Like... Wherever that coin may land, I wouldn't be disappointed either way. All right. So I don't really get to tell this story unless I like make myself bring it up just to be <laughs> like, because this is fucking cool. Yeah. But this is actually going to be somewhat natural because you already mentioned the tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Jennifer Love Hewitt's in the tuxedo. I went to school with the nieces and nephews of the director of the tuxedo, That's who cool. Jennifer Love Hewitt dated for a while. Wow. Guy's name is Kevin Donovan. Uh, I've gotten to meet him once, but even more cool than that was his nephew being on the football team and there being a football camp that took place by one of his vacation homes meant that my junior year of football in high school, when we went to football camp in Whitefish, I got to stay at his 10 bedroom log cabin on the lake. That's pretty uh, just awesome. a little bit after that he did the tuxedo, actually. Nice, dude. That's pretty sweet. That's a cool story. So I may have slept on a bed that <laughs> him and Jennifer Love Hewitt fucked in. You might have some stank on you. I might Second have hand. gotten some Jennifer Love Hewitt stank on me. Oh, and dude. don't think for a second that I wasn't thinking about that while I was there. <laughs> don't blame me, brother. <laughs> All right. So I'll name a few of her film credits. So. Some of her early works include Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, which is a film I'm very familiar with. I'm going to just talk about that movie. Yeah, so I'm going to talk about some of her films first and then move, of course, over to her television works. But some of those other films include Can't Hardly Wait. I'm a huge fan of that film. Love that movie. I've been talking about that movie a lot lately, actually. Yeah, it's a really good film, actually. The film Heartbreakers, that was actually a really good film. Yeah, it's not bad. I mentioned The Tuxedo. Uh, she was also she in. That great. No, no. <laughs> I think she was considered for a Razzie in that. Right. She was also in such films as Garfield the movie, and its sequel, Garfield: A Tale of Two Kitties. She was in the Truth About Love. She was in the film Tropic Thunder as herself. More recently, she's been in such films as Cafe and Jutopia. Now, this is the reason I know Jennifer Love Hewitt. Not personally, but because of television. It goes way back. I have a very, very, very Soft spot in my heart for this television show. Don't do a lot of research on it because you're going to find some fucked up shit. But (laughs) as a kid, I used to watch Kids Incorporated. It was a Disney show. It had Fergie on there. It had a gentleman that's in a horror film. We'll eventually get down to sometime in the future. But she was one of the mains in season six and seven. So that was like from 89 through 91. So she was like a later addition to the show. Shit, okay. Yeah, I know a little bit about that show. <laughs> All right, but moving forward, this is the main reason why like, I went goo-goo gaga for hers. She played Sarah Reeves Marin in Party of Five back in 95 through 99. 
Oh, woo wee wowie. <laughs> right? And then she started making some appearances and such things as Boy Meets World. She's voiced uh, some stuff for Hercules, the animated series. Family Guy, she's done some voice work for her. Well, she was the ghost whisperer. Yeah, that's like basically what she's known for from the mid to late 2000s. Basically played the main role in that. She was also part of The Client List, Law & Order. She's done such things as Criminal Minds, and The Client List. And more recently, she's been in 911 from 2008 through the present, which is really cool. She's actually uh, directed a few episodes of The Ghost Whisperer and The Client List. It's kind of interesting because she's not really a, a genre actress as far as horror goes. And there's some really interesting things to talk about later on <laughs> once we really get to this film. All right, moving forward, another one of those 90s, like Goo Gaga girls, is uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, And another one of those, too, because of television. That's where I really know her from. But same thing, I'll mention some of her filmography and then we'll go into her television. So when you look at her filmography, she was also in Scream 2 as Casey mm-hmm. CC Cooper in uh, 1997. She did some work for Small Soldiers. She actually voiced Wendy Dahl. But the film I remember because it's a super sexy film is Cruel Intentions. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. She was also in Harvard Man. I know it gets panned a little bit, but I actually like that film. It's pretty decent. Then if you're more of a family-oriented kind of person, you might be familiar with her work in the live-action Scooby-Doo film. Dude, those Scooby-Doo movies are fucking great. They are. I mean, I watched them. Matthew Lillard, uh, specifically. Freddie Prinze, who I'm going to mention a little bit. So, But uh, she did play Daphne Blake in Scooby-Doo and Scooby-Doo 2. She was also in The Grudge, part 1 and 2. So she is a genre actress because she's been in a couple of different films uh, in this genre. Mm. Southland Tales. Yeah, she voiced TMNT, April O'Neil, back in 2007. Veronica Decides to Die in the film Possession. And then with her television work, she kind of goes way back because she actually did some Burger King commercials. Mm. So contractually, she wasn't supposed to be eating at McDonald's. So she says she low-key used to like have to put on disguises. It's fucking funny. Because <laughs> Burger King at the time was slamming McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is really funny. That's but. fucking funny. If you look at her television work, she was in All My Children back in 93 through 95, and then she came back for an episode in 2011. She was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's where I know her, because she was Buffy Summers. No, I know, right? Oh, fuck. What a babe. She also helped voice some things, like uh, she was in King of the Hill, Robot Chicken, American Dad. One of the shows I should have watched, because it had uh, Robin Williams in it. Never got around to it, man, but... um. Uh, she's done some stuff for Star Wars Rebels, which is really neat. I heard that she reprised her role in the TV movie for Cruel Intentions. I heard it was a big old turd. <laughs> Don't go watch that. And uh, more recently, she was in The Big Bang Theory, which is really neat. Which uh, I can see why, considering who's in this film. She ends up doing a lot of shit with some of her former co-stars, is what I'm realizing. Dude, I had so much time on my hands well, the Freddie Prince thing makes sense because right. they ended up getting married. Right. But no, when you start looking at everybody that's in this film they, as far as the big four. They end up acting with each other a shit ton. And not only that, but there's people from other films that wind up doing a lot of shit with them all too. Mm-hmm. So they have all these really cool connections once you start delving into that. I realm. think that connection is the mid to late 90s connection. Yeah. And when you look at all these teen films Those and mid stuff, to late 90s people are always cast with each other. Makes sense. Well, they I mean, well obviously age ranges are usually cast with age ranges. Makes but sense. No, but yeah. I, I feel like this relationship is more incestuous than that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, for real. For real. For real. <laughs> 
All right, so I'm going to talk about Ryan Felipe, who plays the role of Barry Cox. And this guy, I actually do like a lot of his filmography. He's been in some really cool films. Some of his early stuff includes uh, roles in the film Crimson Tide and White Squall, where I believe he got a little bit more of his fame. Then when he came in this film, he got some later roles for such things as the role of uh, Shane O'Shea in the film 54. He was in the film Cruel Intentions with Sarah Michelle Gellar. He was in the film The Way of the Gun. He was in the films... uh, Antitrust. A film I really like is Igby Goes Down. He was in the film Crash. Another film I've seen doesn't get talked about enough, unfortunately, but the film Five Fingers. Really good film, dude. He was in the film uh, Flag of Our Fathers, the film Stop Loss. He was in MacGruber as Lieutenant Dixon Piper. (laughs) He was in the films The Bang Bang Club. Straight A's, Catch Hell, Wish Upon, which is a return to the genre. He said that that one was a film that he felt comfortable enough to let his children see, which is funny because I think his oldest child's like 21. Mm. It's kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he uh, more recently was in the film The Sound of Philadelphia. He's actually a huge Philadelphia like fanatic in terms of sports because he grew up in Delaware, which is really close by. So that's part of the reason why he was in that film. Anyway, moving along, we've got Freddie Prinze Jr. plays the role of Ray Bronson in this film. And uh, when you look at some of his filmography, he's been in some cool stuff. Uh, He became kind of a heartthrob going into the new millennium because of this film. Because when you follow this film, you have She's All That... He was in Wing Commander. He was in the film Down to You, Boys and Girls. Yep. Head Over Hill, Summer Catch. And then he started being in those Scooby-Doo films because he played Fred Jones with that really shitty blonde hair. <laughs> so you ain't tricking nobody, Freddie. But he was also was in so Scooby-Doo, too. No, I mean, it's, it's grave. I'm like, ah, he's a little out of place. All right. And then he was in such things as Happily and Ever After. He was in the films Jack and Jill versus the World. Mass Effects and Star Wars Rise of Skywalker's Kanan Jarrus, which he did a voice cameo for. He's actually got some pretty cool uh, filmography. I mean, in terms of his television work, he did a couple of like after school specials, one with Jessica Alba and one with Ricky Schroeder. Heard they were pretty decent. He started getting some work. Like I said, around the 2000s, he was in an episode of Frasier and Friends. Did a crossover because he was on George Lopez as Freddie Moreno, but he had his own television show called Freddie from 2005 through 2006. He was in Boston Legal. You might have seen him in WWE Raw back in 2008 and 9, just kind of interesting. I know he did a few uh, episodes of 24 back in 2010. He did a few episodes of uh, Witches of East End. He voiced uh, several episodes of Robot Chicken, uh, Star Wars Rebels. I know he's also done some video game work too. So if you ever played Mass Effect 3, Dragon Age Inquisition, and maybe Disney Infinity 3.0, you've probably heard his voice in several of those video games. I do have a little weird trivia bit about him too. He's nice. actually a massive Punisher fan. Nice. Auditioned for the role of Jigsaw in Punisher Warzone and was the director Lexi Alexander's choice. She didn't want to, God, what was it? It was like she didn't want to audition him at first because he was just like fucking pretty boy, Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. Blew it out of the water. But it was something weird. Like she was made to audition him by the studio. He ended up doing really well. But then the studio also didn't let her pick him. Oh, damn. That's fucked up. And then it ended up being between Patty Considine and Dominic West, and Dominic West ended up getting it. But like, but weird know, yeah. studio interference where like 
They put him in there. Right. Turns out he's a gigantic fan and blows it away. Nice. But then the studio is also ah. interfered and he wasn't able to do it. That's, that's one of those classic too many cooks. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, man. What could have been? All right. Moving forward, we have Bridget Wilson dash Sampras because she is Pete Sampras's wife. All right. Now, I know her and I knew it because it's like, dude, even before I started recognizing her in film, I used to watch a lot of Saved by the Bell, and she always played like these very ditzy blondes way back then. She kind of got typecasted, but once you get out of that realm, right, you start seeing her in films such as Last Action Hero. She was in Higher Learning, but more famously, she was... Billy fucking Madison. Yeah, she was Veronica Vaughn. Right? Veronica Vaughn. <laughs> she played Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat, which is really awesome. She was in the film Nixon. She was in the films Starstruck, The Suburbans, House on a Haunted Hill, which is really dope. She was in The Wedding Planner, Buying the Cow, actually. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's actually a pretty funny movie, man. No, I never did. Yeah, it's actually not bad. She was also in Shop Girl and Phantom Punch. Uh, some of her television roles I've mentioned before. She was in five episodes of Saved by the Bell as Ginger. She was in 11 episodes of The Street. She was in uh, Fraser, an episode of that. She I Miami. So, you know, basically just kind of piddling around with television here and there. Not very much. I can see why. I mean, Pete Sampras, dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's one of the greats. All right. We just listened to a song about this actress because we wanted to know what was inside. And Hayes' butthole. And <laughs> Dude, that's so fucking funny. All right, so depending on if you're looking at her character's name on Wikipedia and or on uh, the movie database, it'll have two different names. It's the same character, but it's Melissa Missy, which is a nickname, Egan. All right, that's the role. So in case you're confused, <laughs> if you're looking at those credits. But Anne Heche, right, she's done some really cool stuff. Actually, uh, like when I start looking back in her filmography, she was in such things as The Adventures of Huck Finn, I was just like, okay. She was in the movie Milk Money. I don't know if you've ever seen that either. I saw Milk Money. That's yeah. actually not a bad film. Movie. Yeah. She was in The Jurors. She was also in uh, Donnie Brasco. She was in the film Wag the Dog. Six Days and Seven Nights. And the movie Psycho, of course. Ghost Van Sant's Shot for Shot remake. Because <laughs> he didn't give a fuck. And that's where you see her ball. Exactly. Right? Whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> you get to see Anne Hayes' brown eye. So there you go. <laughs> Just ring piece. Let's see here. Some other films. She's got Prozac Nation. She Rusty was... Sheriff's Badge. <laughs> and they all rusty trombone there. <laughs> she was in Superman Doomsday. She voiced Lois Lane, which is actually really cool. She was in Cedar Rapids, The Other Guys. That's what she said. Mm -hmm. so, more recently, she was in Catfight, My Friend Dahmer, which I'm actually kind of curious about. That's, of course, yeah. about Jeffrey Dahmer. And the film, The Best of Enemies. Some of her television work includes uh, The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. She was also, of course, in Ellen. I wonder why. She was in Allie McBeal for seven episodes. She was also in Everwood for ten episodes. She was in Men and Trees, where she played the lead of Marin Frist. The Michael J. Fox Show. More recently, she was in Chicago PD. All right. 
got a few more actors, and that'll pretty much round out our cast and crew. I have Muse Watson, who plays the role of the fisherman in this film. And when you look at some of his bodies of work, it includes the films Black Rainbow. He was in The Handmaid's Tale, which is kind of interesting. It was a 1990 film. He was also in such things as Assassins. He was in Rosewood, the film Lolita. He was also in such things as From Dusk Till Dawn Part 2. He was in Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shacked Me as a Klansman. <laughs> he was in American Outlaws. He was in the film Dead Birds. He was also in such films as The Last Exorcism Part 2 in Suburban Gothic. And yeah, he also did several spots here and there on some television shows. Uh, some of the things I'm looking at are like Castle. If you've watched Prison Break, he played Charles Westmoreland for... Uh, 19 episodes, a big chunk there. He was in NCIS as Mike Franks for 18 episodes. So yeah, dabble a little bit in television as well. All right, we have a child actor who's still acting, which is really cool. But I'm talking about Johnny Galecki. He's also probably the richest of all of them. Oh, yeah, when you look at him now. He's probably the richest person involved with this movie. And he's like, yeah, who's smiling now? <laughs> Interestingly enough, right, it goes way back, too, even before Roseanne for me because I saw him in the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation as Rusty Griswold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of his other films include such things as Without Consent. He was in Bean. He was also in Suicide Kings. He was in the film uh, Playing Mona Lisa, movie Bounce. He was in Vanilla Sky, which is really cool. He was also in such things as Hancock. He was in CBGB, Rings, and A Dog's Journey. But when you look at television work, I already mentioned Roseanne. He was in such things as Batman Beyond. But uh, then My name is Earl, which is really cool. The big thing. Oh, the Big Bang. bang. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, come on. Leonard Hofstadter. And that's why uh, I say he's probably the richest of all of them. Yeah. $900,000 per episode between 2017 nuts. and 2019. Or 2018. Could you or, no, 2019. That? And, you know, that's that's a CBS show, so it's syndicated. Oh, yeah, he's going to be <sighs> getting back end on that oh, for... money. <laughs> I mean, I have to assume that by the time they got to whatever that the number of that last season was. Yeah. And he's making 900,000, almost a million dollars an episode. That's crazy, dude. That part of that good contract includes back end. Yeah. Well, it's like, good for him, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely deserves it. He's a good actor, man. So if you haven't seen him on that, <laughs> what are you doing? I kind of catch up, so I don't follow that show regularly. But um, like I said, I, I used to catch reruns here and there. And I enjoyed it. You know, it's pretty decent. Moving forward, I have one more person, and that is Stuart Greer. He plays the role of Officer Caparizzo, who is the driver with Sarah Michelle Gellar's character mm-hmm. later on in the film. But uh, the reason I bring him up, he's actually been in some really interesting films. He's been in such things as The Apostle. You might have seen him in Remember the Titans. He was also in the films Runaway Jury, the film Glory Road, the film The Mechanic, the film Take Shelter, American Ultra, and more recently... He was in the Walking Dead television series back in 2016. So that pretty much rounds out our cast and our crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings heading into this film. Language. Yeah. A little bit of violence. Yeah. Cleavage. No nudity, though, unfortunately. I mean, it's a slasher. Teen slasher on top of that, too, for the most part. So everything that sort of comes with that. That's what you're kind of getting. Right. Except in the more tamed down 90s way and not the (laughs) hardcore 80s way. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean, that's basically about it. There's not many real warnings for this movie, so... 
Well, it's pretty tame in comparison to what we're, we're used to around here. We did Tokyo Gore Police. Everything feels tame now. I, That's a high standard. It's a high standard. Let's get into talking about this. Get a little bit more high. <laughs> How does that make you squeal? Oh, man. You know what you did last summer? Mm. It was only going to be a matter of time before we finally came around to this movie. Yeah, I'm and I'm not saying that in any did. way that like I'm look was looking forward to it in any particular manner, but I'm like, oh fuck, more just all the memories of the amount of time after this movie came out and everybody was making fun of the name, uh, and especially yeah. after the sequel came out. And I still know what you did last summer. Yeah, and it was every fucking joke was I still know this and that. I did this yesterday. And oh yeah, I still know yesterday what you did with the thing. And the... I remember when you ripped that juicy fart. You remember. Yeah, I remember. Now we got member berries. Right. Anyway, yeah, so what's <laughs> what's your history with this movie? How oh, do you man. come into this? All right, so as a product... you are just a touch older than me, too. Right, so. as a product of the 90s, right? And this is kind of the perfect storm, right? Because this film, I mentioned, came out in October of 97. So this is on the brink of me turning 16. So this is kind of like... I was its perfect demographic for this type of film, right? coming off kind of the backbone of Scream and the success of that and kind of leaning to this new slasher style where mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't, like you were saying earlier, it wasn't 80s over-the-top, like, tits and gore and all that stuff. This was more tamed down and more thriller suspense, more so than horror, per se. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't recall if I went to see this in the theater. I, I Honestly, I can't remember. I, I probably want to say I probably didn't because I, w- I would have remembered. Yeah. <laughs> But I do remember seeing this several times with some friends, closer to probably like '98. So okay, yeah. But I didn't really watch it a whole lot. I mean, just because. All right, a, I have a history before this even became a film because of the novel, which is weird to say. Right, you mentioned this before, so I'm really curious about this. <laughs> all right, so yeah, before this even became a film, in my seventh grade class, so this was like three years prior right which would have been 94 i was in seventh grade okay seems like being an old man now anyway our teacher had us read this book i know what you did last summer seems like a weird poll it really is man so i've never heard of anyone else being made to read this no this was like seventh grade if you were at my school this was one of the books that we read i know weird right Honestly, during that time period, too, I thought the book was probably written around that time period, too, just because of the way it's told. Right. Knowing that it came out in 73, I was like, holy fuck. I don't remember that part of it. Well, I was doing a little bit of reading. Not when you would have been in school. Mm-mm, but I know but later. I, but later on, yeah. she released an updated version. I saw that. Which is really weird. Yeah, they updated the technology and some of like the current affairs. But I think everything else pretty much stayed the same. In terms of the revamped, revised edition. she said as far as the, edition. the plot went, she didn't have to change many things. No. She just had to add in reasons for why they didn't have their cell phones on them at certain times. Yeah, which, eh, leave it, man. <laughs> I just don't understand updating a book like that to I, I think with. it's because it was riding off the back of a this. Boot. Even though she didn't like it, she was still capitalizing on it. Because it sold fucking bukus of copies. Well, there's versions of the book that on the cover have the hook man. Thank you, yeah. Which, and that uh, doesn't exist in the book. It doesn't. It doesn't because there's a huge difference between how the events happen in the book and then, of course, this adaptation, which really splits it kind of a lot more so than Stephen King and uh, Stanley Kubrick. 
their deviation, right? A lot more. Anyway, when we read this in the seventh grade, I mean, I wasn't really into this kind of style, you know. This, oh, yeah. I was like, I was, it was all right, you well, know. Especially because, like you said, the book's different. It is. So, with that in mind, too, I think I mentioned this to you. It started like rattling some memories off because it's like one thing I do remember about this <laughs> is that we had to like get split into groups of I think four or five people, mm-hmm. you know, in our class. And the people that I got pitted with, we had to shoot a scene from the book, right? So we had to. <laughs> Take a scene from the fucking book and reenact it, of course, in mm-hmm. front of a VHS camera. And it was weird because it's something we did outside of school, right? So it was like a, a real project. Yeah. <laughs> so it was even more weird. I'm trying to think which scene we did. And then going back and reading through the book, I almost want to say, without spoiling anything, it was one of the scenes, I think it was right after the kid got hit. Like, I think that was a scene. It was more of an emotional scene, pool okay. scene. And I think we were reenacting that. Like, what we're going to do and blah, blah, blah. Do you remember what part you played? Uh, I almost want to... It might have been Ray. Okay. Yeah, cause I'm on, but I... Don't Ray. call me... Say a Ray. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> all, all right, that's a whole different story. I'll get into that later. But the thing is, is if somebody in my class <laughs> has a copy of that, I would love to see that because it's going to be so painful to watch. Oh, man. But I remember bits and pieces of it. Like, not the whole thing because it's been so long. And I didn't really think about it until we started doing this. Like, hold on. <laughs> remember that. Anyway, so that's that's my history. We did it in seventh grade. And then when we learned, it's like, oh, shit, it's going to turn into a film. Oh, shit, it's got Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, so that's kind of how I knew the book before I knew the film. And then watching the film, I was like, oh, yeah, this is completely different. Because it is different. So that's my little history. It's more of like middle school, high school kind of history. Let's see. So I'm a little bit younger. This movie came out when I was 10. I know I didn't see this movie right away. And I was watching some horror movies at that time. And I had definitely seen probably even like harder core horror by that time. But it was a weird point in my life because I was like 10. And even though I had seen worse stuff, it was one of those things where like, it kind of depended on how it was marketed, whether my parents would let me go to the movies or not. <laughs> yeah, understandable. So I went to the movies a lot when I was a kid because it was way cheap in my fucking hometown. But I know I didn't see it in theaters. And I was thinking about it. I probably didn't see it until it already had been out for a bit. I'm guessing I probably saw it when I was like 12 or 13. So it would have been like yeah, a few years later. 2000. I do also remember that part of the reason I stayed away from it like, you went in thinking about Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Oh, yeah. They both exist. They're both awesome. They're both in this movie. Being just a little bit younger, this horror movie was thought of amongst my peers as more of a chick horror movie. Okay. Because of how Freddie Prince and Ryan Philippe had blown up. That makes sense, too, because they're like the teen heartthrobs. Yeah. Even though, I think... Freddie Prinze was like 20, 21 at the time of filming. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So the girls were like in my wheelhouse because they're just maybe like a few years older than me. Mm -hmm. It was right in my wheelhouse. But I can see where it can be viewed as that too because of those two guys. We we mentioned kind of how this fit into some of their careers. I do remember very specifically this being a big springboard for Jennifer Love Hewitt, especially... Like, she had had Party of Five before this, but she wasn't getting much, like, movie attention. No, at that time, 
because it was Fox. And there was still, a much greater yeah. divide between TV and movie in those days. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. There wasn't a huge crossover in terms of that goes. Yeah. And so this was, like, what really threw her on the yep. map. Absolutely. Um, as far as, like, Ryan Philippe. Yeah. He had a couple things before this, and he had work in between this and blowing up. But if you look at the timeline, I, I meant to have his shit here. Yeah, like I mentioned, he had a few bit parts, like in uh, White Squall. And... Right. Before this, he had like White Squall, Nowhere, Little yeah. Boy Blue. I know he did some television work, too. He was like one of the first characters to play like a teenage mm. gay character on a, a soap opera. Mm-hmm. So he kind of got a little bit of a break because, but not huge. It wasn't really until this film, to be honest. Right. And after I Know What You Did Last Summer, you have 54 playing by heart, homegrown, and then Cruel Intentions. Yeah. But if you think of production timelines and when he would have been cast, I Know What You Did Last Summer got Cruel Intentions greenlit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Those There's other actually... things he was already a part of. And it's just a bonus that this movie blew up as big as it did. Yeah. But this movie got him cruel intentions specifically to be a vehicle for him that's a good point it really i mean it really is and just really cool man like i said we, we talked about those connections and of course they pay dividends and i think this is also the movie that set off just a flurry of fake sarah michelle geller porn online <laughs> oh my God, and that's yeah. what i remember most during this time period it's weird thinking back because i actually am a little bit more of a jennifer love hewitt kind of guy yeah 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 but, like, in that specific time period, I was way more Sarah Michelle Gellar because there was oh, way yeah. more fake porn of her. <laughs> That's so funny, man. But I'm, you're not wrong. Let's put it that way. You're not wrong at all. <laughs> like I said, knowing what I know, of course, now, looking back at it, it's like, yeah, I was, you know, had a huge crush on Jennifer Love Hewitt. But looking back now, I was like, oh, man, my opinion might change because of this film. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hold on now. But um, anyhow, anyhow. Yeah, we've got some interesting story because this like this was geared towards a little bit of our demographic, you know. Absolutely. You just uh, you're just I kind of just riding the, the coattails, yeah, basically I was right coming at the in tail on the end it. of it, but it was still right for my people. Right. But now thinking about it too, it's like, man, this is this is not a I know we haven't really talked about the film, but And especially cuz I was also young for my grade. Knowing this now, I'm trying to put my mind where I was at that time, 97, the fall of that. I was playing football. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it was doing a lot of that shit, but I do remember seeing this, like I said, with groups of friends on occasion. Like, if we were hanging out, we'd go rip movies like this. But also knowing, too, like, growing up, this also wasn't really, like, what I would normally rip by myself. Yeah. Because of all the shit I grew up watching. Like, this was super tame in comparison. But because it felt a little, like, it was Scream-ish, you know? So that was the other big thing I wanted to bring up as far as this movie goes. Williamson, right? Scream, this, yeah, Urban Legend. Yeah, we've covered Urban Legend already. Absolutely. This movie, it feels like him all over. Oh man, and it's such a big bat way, and it's cool because and it's very much the transition piece. There's he, parts of it that he feels kind of did a flawless. Yeah, <laughs> which is interesting. All right, so this is a little cool trivia too. Is he actually wrote the script to this before Scream came out? Right. Right. He had a hard time shopping this. And because, of course, his success with Scream, it made it help that Wes Craven also directed it. Mm-hmm. But it's just such a deconstruction of the slasher, right? And then coming to this where it's, you know, you have a little bit of an expectation of maybe where it's going, the direction, because of Scream. It kind of reverts a little bit. 
it kind of reverts, but it keeps the characters kind of smart right. in the same way. Right, and I like that too because they're strength. They're not your you know fall down. You're like, oh, this fucking dumb bitch, or you know the stereotypical. When they're slightly genre savvy, right? They bring up some different right. meta points, even when they're performing actions. Yeah, there's some really cool name drops and mm-hmm. references. You're right; they're aware, but some of the tropes, of course, still play out. They're just absolutely more sophisticated, right? Which I like. Maybe too. not even sophisticated. Well, uh, it's, on, on the whole, yeah. no, I this mean, movie isn't that great. It's not slick, no. But <laughs> what I'm what I mean, it's, it's not like bad. It's fine. Whereas I like it. something that you would see in the eighties, that kind of trope, like like I said, somebody falling down, you're like, oh, yep. <laughs> They're a little a little bit more clever, not much, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it seems a little bit more. But aside from that, right, the film as a whole, I, I kind of would like to talk about that because yeah. rewatching this and not having seen it in so long, the first time through, I was like, ah, and knowing. What I know now, like I said, it's where it's like the first time through was kind of like, okay, I really dug it the second time through. I liked it more the second time through. I was like, hold on now. (laughs) This might be nostalgia talking, but this is not a bad film. It's not great, but it's actually, I really liked it. There's some stuff in it that reminds me of the Carolinas because it was shot in North Carolina. So there's a little bit of that too. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. And uh, just like I said, knowing where these people were at in their times, right? Like some of them were just kind of riding off the crest of some television work, some spots and film here and there. And this thing like, yeah, we're only what, like a season and a half into Buffy at this point. Yeah. And so it's, she's still relatively unknown, right? You might've seen her in like some prior television work, just spots here and there. Same thing with Jennifer Love Hewitt. That's why I was like, ooh, I like when these girls fly underneath the radar, <laughs> right? But then something like this is like, boom, they're all over the place, which is good. Galecki it, and Bridget Wilson are the biggest at this point. You know, that's a good point. Even though they play relatively minor parts, I mean, they, they have good roles, but it's minor in comparison. Yeah, they're a little bit more recognizable, which is... Especially because of Roseanne. I mean, yeah, for Galecki. Yeah, and National Lampoons. Mm-hmm. You might not have recognized them from that with this, but same kid, same mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, and Bridget Wilson, you mentioned too, so... Well, because Billy Madison yeah. was 95. So. Exactly, so you're not too far removed. That's what I started thinking of when I started watching this film. And knowing, too, that first shot that we get, I was like, that's that's really cool. I mean, I know that's in California, which I read, too, that byway mm-hmm. is where they filmed some of the scenes from the birds. Oh, shit, okay. I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. cool. I didn't know that. I say that now. I can yeah. see that now. But... The second time through, not the first time through, because the opening scene, I was like, oh, I'd... you kind of write it off a little bit. Like, oh, this guy, you're not quite sure if he's committed to doing what he's out there to do. And then, you know, the then stuff that happens. Then you realize he actually is hearing somebody. Yeah, and that's like, oh, that's actually really clever. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Because it coincides when he looks up, the fireworks go off. See, my first time through, that opening scene, I was just like, oh. Fuck this. Yeah, okay, I get exactly, it. right? I get it. I get it. And then the second time. And that's the thing. I knew the twist. It's not like I hadn't seen the movie before. And I was still bored by that first But scene. having that knowledge. But having it fresh, I was like, oh, wait. No, this is actually... Okay. Yeah, he actually did hear something. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It makes sense now. <laughs> it's like, why else would they have that kind of cold open like mm-hmm. that? I was also a little bit more transfixed that they opened up with oh, typos. Summer Breeze. Fucking su- Summer yeah. Breeze. You know, even before I looked that up... Just no one, I, I don't know much about typo negative, but I know they have a sound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and hearing that, the way it opens, it's like, oh, that sounds like typo negative. And I'm not like, I don't listen to them a lot, hardly at all, but 
I know the sound. Now, I don't listen to them a lot, but I was like, wait, this sounds familiar. Is that? And then the yep. voice kicked in. I'm like, that's Peter Steele. Yep. I'm like, they're really using some fucking typo to open this movie. Yeah. And, the, and I didn't recognize Summer the song because I don't know the words to Summer Breeze like by heart. No, because it changed the tempo of the song, too. Mm-hmm. You know? But then I heard the lyrics. It's like, oh, damn, they're doing a cover. But there's a lot of that in this film, too. I mean, not a whole lot, but... There's a, there's a couple of different songs throughout that are covers. For the time period, the soundtrack ain't bad. No, man. it's not. It's not. Well, cool the Shakers saying, on yeah, here, which is good. Typo. Offspring. Offspring is on here. Toad the Wet Sprocket. Yeah. Soul Asylum. Yeah, it's not I'm bad. Ninety soundtrack, dude. Corn. <laughs> I saw. I know Our Lady Peace is on there, even though you don't hear them in the movie. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones isn't on the soundtrack, but is in the movie. Right. The one that took me by surprise, and I was going to bring this up later when we actually got to the scene, but since we're talking about this cool fucking songs right now, was not expecting the Lead Belly yeah. uh, fucking Where Did You Sleep Last Night. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck, this movie just got me, dude. Like, I know, that's I, killer. I was thinking that, too. I was like, man, I wonder, I mean, now, but back then, how many people would have got that? I know I wouldn't have. No. I mean... I don't even think I would have associated that with Nirvana at the time either, to be honest. Same here. I would, yeah, I would have just been writing it off as any other song. Yeah, just this an old time blues. Through, I'm I was just like, like oh, oh, that's so dope. That's really <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah, I was like, oh damn, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I got that. My notes fit as in well. the scene really well. It's perfect. Yeah. It, Maybe I'm not sure if it fit in thematically or anything, but the sound but it no, sounded it, good in the scene. It does. It, it sets kind of that mood for that scene. It makes sense. I mean, they even say they're from the sticks. All right. So I like all of that. The way it opens, soundtrack's really good, we mentioned. Once the fireworks hit, we get the beauty pageant. <laughs> and second time through, I was like, oh, that chick, the older gal, who's like doing the singing later on in the film, mm-hmm. she's also in this pageant as well. In the opening, oh. I was like, her old ass is still <laughs> Anyway, the whole point of that is, this is where it switches to from the book. So in the book... It's a graduation, right? right? And they're all at different ages, too. And I think Barry's older and a couple other people. Well, here's the funny thing. So yeah. in the book, they're separate ages, right. and it's a, a point is made of it that they're separate ages. Mm-hmm. In this, they're all supposed to be the same age, but their actors' <laughs> ages line up. Perfect with how the book with is. the book. <laughs> Which I will say that is clever. I think Williams, you got to give him a little bit more credit where, you know, yes, he took kind of like the bare essentials of what the book is about mm-hmm. and then of course you know made it his own but he also used like that that was kind of a clever thing uh, maybe unintentional but whether or not it's, it's the way it worked i think aged up one or two years but yeah. they're all in the right relation to each other right, exactly so that's already kind of neat so the graduation is where the book differs from the movie because in the movie she is wins a beauty pageant Whereas in the book, I believe she just sends him pictures and wins it that yeah. way. Okay. Yeah, which is odd. But remember, it was written in pictures? 1973. What kind of pictures? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> An A? <laughs> so there's a little, a slight difference there, all right? So it's set in the tone, it's set in the mood. What I like, too, is how it, go, it transitions to the pier and all that shit, the boardwalk. Where Johnny Galecki's offering a shot to Jennifer Love Hewitt, mm-hmm. and then Fuckboy enters the scene. <laughs> Dude, wait, Johnny Galecki was, he's lucky that Freddie Prince pops up, because yeah. he was about two sentences away from, 
but I'm a nice guy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah, because he's like, you know, you could tell, like, his character has the hots, who wouldn't? But the whole point of that exchange is, like, oh, he knows she's about to leave. It's, like, their last kind of nights together in the same town. Was it Barry? Yeah. Ryan Philippe's character. Mm-hmm. Takes the shot and, like, tells him, calls him chum bait. <laughs> Get out of here, chum bait. Yeah, and they're like, what you gonna do, bro? <laughs> but he has some clever shit, man. I mean, like, knowing the things that we know now, he tells him, he's like, I was just taking care of your girl, Ray. Right? <laughs> Which is kind of funny, because he was. Yeah. In the film, ironically. Because <laughs> he's with Sarah Michelle. Right. So technically, he was taking care of his girl. <laughs> That's why I had, like, these weird little chuckles, because knowing that. But also, in my mind, if you are familiar with the movie Scary Movie... Some of this shit already I was thinking. I was like, God damn. That f- I couldn't help but think of some of these scenes in that movie, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, they decide to go down to Dawson's Beach. So there's your first little reference to Dawson's Creek. To the right, Dawson's. but it's not, it, it's not a reference yet, though. Mm-mm. But there's, it's the, the beginnings. Right, it's the beginnings. Right. It's like, oh, because it was shot in North Carolina, but it's a fictional place in Massachusetts. The Dawson's. How, yeah, the Dawson's. Right. Right. <laughs> right. What I like, this is kind of the onset, too, of urban legend. Because while they're down there at the Dawson's, they're telling the story of the hook. Mm-hmm. Right? I was like, all right. But you've got the scream bit, though, because everyone right. kind of knows already. Exactly. They just know the variation. Mm-hmm. Right? They heard it this way. No, it's this, it's that. I was like, oh, that's perfect. Because what I read is that I believe the director of urban legend, who we've covered, I can't remember the gentleman's name, he wanted to film this like he put in i guess like a a screen test or whatever Mm -hmm. but he missed the deadline (laughs) (laughs) but knowing what they knew is like they they kept him in mind for urban legend so that's how he got urban legend so it makes sense because this is kevin williamson wrote that (laughs) right so they all know variations right of the story and then it gets into the point where they're all like it's funny because Jennifer Love Hewitt's she's like oh it's basically just a, you know an allegory for uh, women like to, to not have premarital sex and all that mm-hmm. stuff right Freddie Friends is like hold up hold up wait I'm, <laughs> I'm scared of how smart you are right but, but it's just I urban actually legend. know some of this shit right he's like it's for well, real because their next conversation indicates that he is smart as shit too right right they're just like slightly different smarts she's like sciencey type smarts she's book smart he's right 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 she's yeah she's a little bit more very learned and you realize that their next conversation when they go off to bone because bone town homeboy's fucking like that witty shit that's going back and forth all right here's something actually i started watching it for a third time and i didn't notice the line that they say actually to each other Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince, right? Because it, it's repeated later on in the film, like much, 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 much later. And I had to write it down. Not necessarily the, the entire thing, but I was like, oh, you motherfucker, I missed it twice. <laughs> right? They're having a little conversation because, you know, it's like he's worried about her going off to Boston and apparently he was supposed to be going to New York or something like that. Because mm-hmm. she's like, you're going to meet this and that and the other, blah, blah, blah. Right before they bone down, he tells her, he's like, nobody gets me like you do. She's like, oh, I feel your pain. Oh. Right? I was like, oh, because that line is refrained later on in the film. And I wrote a side note to myself because I was like, what the fuck? Because it's so stilted the way they deliver that line compared to the way they deliver it here. 
That's what threw me. Uh, okay. Because I didn't realize they said this line. <laughs> right? Okay. All right, anyway. So when, like, when else uh, does it come up then? Almost towards the end of the film. Okay. I'll, I'll mention it once we get there. So keep that in mind, little lamp. <laughs> that line. All right? But what it amounts to is like they, coincidentally enough, they are having premarital sex on the beach, which leads them into trouble. Uh, so this is where Barry gives Ray, who is Ryan Philippe, gives uh, Freddie Prince the keys, right? And there's a line that Sarah Michelle says, like, boy, you missed a golden chance. I know it's just a movie, but if she, if she would have said what she said to him to me, this movie would be different. I'll completely different. That, yeah. Let's go in the back. I'll let you do things to me. Oh, my ass. Sold. <laughs> but that's not what happens, of course. This is a movie. They're going up that byway in the coastal highway. Well, at first, when Freddie Prinze and Jennifer Love Hewitt are walking up on the car, mm-hmm. fucking Jennifer Love Hewitt is smiling far too much for someone who has that much sand in her cooter <laughs> yep. because they just had sex on a beach. You're absolutely right. And that's even she's got like this that's really a such romantic notion, but sand is a bitch. It's sand gets everywhere. <laughs> You ain't have to be having sex on a beach to get fucking sand oh, in every no, hole. Man. Yeah, you it just sucks. have to be on a beach. It sucks. We've all been there. <laughs> Come on. So she's smiling way too much right now. Right. Even in the car. Right. She's still giving him like, oh, we just fuck look. And uh, Mary says something to Ray. He tell, he's like, what kind of bullshit is this? I'm like, I'm right there with you, brother. We've brought up really what time period this was from for us in our lives. Yeah. And so I want to point out that. This film is often brought up when you're talking about times that Jennifer Love Hewitt has looked sexiest on film. Mm-hmm. What's usually brought up is the last third of this movie. Good point. Because she's, she's mostly in that cleavage. white tank top, right? Yeah. I want to point out, as a connoisseur from this time period, <laughs> because this was when I was entering puberty, right? that as great as the last third of this movie is, if you pay close enough attention, the last third of this movie is bullshit because she's wearing a bra the entire time. Yeah. The first third of this movie, when she's in this top, and this is the last scene that she's in this top, she is not wearing a bra. Yeah. <laughs> she was letting those puppies breathe. She was wearing probably less than she is when she's wearing that fucking tank top. That's a good point. Nobody ever points it out. Well, some of those scenes that's, later that's on in the third... probably the curviest thing I've ever said on this show. You're fucking welcome. <laughs> But no, no. the point is, too, is like the later third of the film, too, there were some reshoots because of continuity. Mm-hmm. She was wearing like her sweater top. Mm-hmm. And they later, had to add in when she went because it, it in the Yeah, door. because this wasn't shot in sequence. And they noticed it in post and like, oh, shit. Yeah, they had to rebuild the set and put her back in almost the same clothes mm-hmm. to make it make sense for continuity. I think that's the part where she uh, uses her sweater to, I think, to pull open that hatch. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of like those inserts later on. Anyway. I'm like the PG-13 Mr. Skin. I just realized that. (laughs) No, it has its place, man. All right. This is where I was like, if you weren't annoyed with Barry before, this is where I was like, oh, shit, this makes sense if you remember Scary Movie, because this is a scene where Lachlan Monroe gets out and is like, whoa! (laughs) You know? Yeah, yeah. Getting some head. And uh, yeah, he drops the bottle. That's when it looks like the guy from the beginning of the film's crossing the street and he gets hit. The way they hit him, they made it look like he went over the car, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. It looked like he should have pretty much took off 
Barry's head. Yeah. No. He ends up in front of him. Yeah, that's... I'm trying to think how that... You know, he's going like this. Boom. Yeah. It would make more in sense if car, it came in an upper trajectory. Over the back. Yeah. You saw how low the front end... You saw what kind of car that is. Yeah, the Beamer. It's like, come on. <laughs> he ain't getting pushed by that. Nah. He's going over the top of that. Yeah. I'm like... Yeah, though. I mean, because that's the style, too. He's going over the top. Yeah. If it was an old steel car... Yeah, he just been a thud. Yeah. <laughs> he probably ran him over, for real. <laughs> he also wouldn't have lived. <laughs> no. I've seen what steel boats can do. Anyway, long story short, once they get out of the car, right, and they're all freaking out, what happened? Is it deer? No. Where would it be? Yada, yada. <laughs> this is where I couldn't help but think a scary movie, because Jennifer Love Hewitt finds the boot, right? And the whole time I'm thinking, but where's the foot? <laughs> right? And, uh, of course, where there's a boot, there's a body, and they find the body. And I'm like, he wasn't as fucked up as Freddie Prince made. <laughs> it's like, oh, no, his face is all messed up. Oh it's God. like, not really. He's got a little bit of blood there, yeah, but you but, got a little bit of blood there, yeah, too. Yeah, it's like, you're kind of overselling it. I understand it's a movie. But I was like, this is where the girls, actually, I sided with the girls in this film. It's because Jennifer Love Hewitt, she's the sane one, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, you know... You can't make these decisions. We got to call it's an accident, you know, and the guys are trying to quote unquote rationalize it. It's like, no, 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 there's liquor. They're going to, they're not going to believe I was driving. He's fuck. I'm drunk as shit. (laughs) So he tells her. So that's, they're having that exchange, right? They're trying to out logic her, even though she's being totally rational and sane. And Sarah Michelle, she's with her up until a point, right? Because Max drives by in his truck, right? And they have to think quick. They're like, let's get them over the fucking bridge. We're going to dump them and shit. But what they do is they pretend like Barry's puking, you know. Uh, That's what happens when you drink and drive. Don't do it. (laughs) And the perils. And uh, I like what Johnny Kalecki actually says to Freddie Prince. Because he has some sharp lines in this film. When he is in this film, Johnny Kalecki, Mm -hmm. he's like, uh, like, is there anything I can do for you? He's like, you almost pulled it off, that rich boy luck. Or something like that, right? She's being real, like just shooting daggers. But Freddie Prince... His character can't respond the way he wants to. He's like, okay, I'll do that. You have a good night. Aces. Peace, buddy. Aces, I still got stank on my fingers. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so they they have that cover, but they decide to take him and dump him in the waters. Just let the fucking crab and shit eat his ass. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is where it also gets a little clever, too, because when you look at who really pushes the guy into the water, it's... The two who get killed later on yeah, in the film, yeah, yeah. right? The other two. Right. And uh, I was like, this is where I was kind of like, eh, this is kind of like like a Jason Voorhees moment where they dump him, but he grabs the tiara, the crown. Ryan Philippe jumps in, and he has the, opens his eye. That's not the only time he does that shit. No. He's got some Undertaker powers, <laughs> which are derivative of Jason Voorhees. Yeah. <laughs> so... I was like, okay, this is where the slasher is born in this film, apparently. Yeah, and... Take it to our graves. When Ryan jumps in the water, it just stood out to me. So I'm like, he just jumped into a tank. Yeah, yeah, it's too bright. Those are coastal pitch black, mind you, too, right? On the coast of North Carolina in Cape Fear. It's going to be pitch black. And And I don't really want to be that guy, but it was so obvious. (laughs) Well... I was looking for the walls the entire time, like... Yeah, exactly. Ain't that far off. Mm-mm. They, I mean, it's it's still a good underwater shot, mm-hmm. you know. Granted, but it's not realistic. Yeah, he gets the crown back. 
fast forward a year later because they made the pact. But I was like, damn, if Ryan Felipe really was a dick the whole time. I mean, but that's his character. You can't help it. But I was like, man, that's some fucking shady shit right there. Say it. <laughs> Say it, Cindy. <laughs> yeah, that was fucked up. However, oh man. Because she, I mean, this, the look that she gives to kind of felt genuine or authentic to what the moment is for Freddie Prince when she looks at him like, she's just, that's disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> she's just disappointed in the whole, like, ah. Oh, yeah. Motherfuckers. A year later, right? She's in Boston, which was actually shot at Duke University. But she looks all jaunty, man, in this. Dude, I. She looked cracked out. <laughs> Depressed, not quite cracked out. What I wrote down is that depressed Jennifer Love Hewitt looks like a 15-year-old horse girl. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she... uh. Somehow her, like, just being, like, all, like, down, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I've never seen that happen. I have to write this down. I've never seen someone looking sad make them look younger before. Yeah, she does. Like, you're right. It regresses her age a little bit. I think too because she she like, had a little bit more of a <laughs> she had a little bit more of a tomboyish look too mm-hmm. for this particular like act of the film. Mm-hmm. But her roommate, of course, tells her to get her or pasty ass down there and get some sun. All right, you're gonna go visit Wiles, which we pack. She drops her off. I guess they drove all the way down from Boston to North Carolina. That's a long fucking drive. <laughs> it's like I don't know if they were thinking logistics in this because they mentioned New York and Boston and I'm like realistically a lot of Carolina kids aren't thinking about those cities man I'm going to be honest with you <laughs> look dude it's obvious that they're not thinking logistics in this movie when you talk about Galecki in the trunk later but oh there's some arguments that could be made but yes I, I tend to agree with you there too <laughs> considering the circumstances right but that alone right I was like alright she's coming down from Boston her mom, you know, comes out, greets her. Oh, happen to have a letter. That's where it kickstarts the, I know what you did last summer, right? Mm-hmm. She's acting all suspicious, too, by the way. <laughs> You're like, what does it say? Nothing. No. Runs off. And then spends the entire freaking day holding it, clutching it, right? Weird. <laughs> like the entire day. Yeah. <laughs> she goes visits Elsa looking for our how to contact Helen, who is mm-hmm. Sir Michelle Geller's character. She's like, oh, you don't have to worry about New York. I thought she said Arkham. Oh. She may have, I don't know, maybe I'm hearing right. things, but New York, regardless. She's like, look no further than over here that she's a fragrance girl. <laughs> Where she pointed, like, she should have seen her when she walked in anyway. I think. Yeah, I'm like, that's not a very big department store. <laughs> I've been in, like, little country, I think we all have, like, little mm-hmm. country store, you know, Fronts and it's like, no, dude, you would have seen this since you walked in. What are you talking about? And they have the conversation anyway. That's what it amounts to. She's like, yeah, I got this letter. Let's go see Barry. Oh, hi, Barry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, Bear. <laughs> and he actually, said, he does something. I, I, I chuckle a little bit, even though it's a dick move. It still made me chuckle. Is, you know, she's telling him, she's like, yeah, I got a letter. He says, I know what you, he's like, ooh, I know what you did last summer. Ooh, real scary, right? And he's like, uh, He's like, anyway, he, he's kind of like playing it off. Like, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Who cares what the fuck we... He's like, I, I don't remember anybody else like running over and killing somebody last summer. And he's like, you shut the hell up. You shut the fuck up. And so he, he does that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, this motherfucker... He flies off quick. He, no wonder they dropped his ass. I read this. This is kind of... It makes a little bit more sense, perhaps, when you look at this. I heard that they had to do a little bit of rewriting the script because they wanted 
his and Sarah Michelle Gellar's characters to be a little bit more dark. And what I mean by that, instead of um, like her going to New York and getting rejected, she was supposed to be like addicted to pills and shit. She was a oh. pill popper, which makes a little bit more sense, like her little break in the theater later on in the film. Oh, right. Okay. And for him, he was supposed to be suicidal after all this shit during that oh. course of the year. So that's why he's like being remote. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe why he has these outbursts and shit like that. I mean, he's a dick character as is, but anyway, while going down to the to docks because they they think maybe Max. They're trying to think who would be connected, who would have this insight. Right, and while it's starting to happen, I, I do want to point out I really liked this like time skip aspect of the movie where they're all sort of having to rediscover each other again and shit. And yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of like it, but in a good way. Yeah, because there's not a huge gap in time. It's a little bit more realistic because. 90s, you gotta think, even with the internet, that's some dial-up. That shit is slow as fuck. Mm-hmm. You're not keeping up like people are now. Right. Right? You're still, even if you move to Charlotte from where they're at, you're still far enough removed to where, you know, you come back a year later, like, what you've been up to, mm-hmm. it makes sense. You don't have to be super far removed for it to still have the same effect. It makes more sense. But they go down because it, he suspects Max, because Max was there that night when... All that shit happened. Right. Maybe he, he drove by. Yeah, he's just threatening us. Let's go, you know, see what happens. Let's go have a talk. Plus, he knows he you want to get up. He wants to get up in you, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's tired of the the fish smell down at the docks. If you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, they go down there to pay a visit, and Ryan roughs him up a little bit. Right. It seems like Johnny Lucky's ready. He's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> Any moment. Is this not private enough for you? Hey, yo, motherfucker. <laughs> I, was just, I was like, okay, well, he threw in a couple of those lines. But he tells him, he says, like, uh, I'm not afraid to call the cops on your college quarterback ass. And that's where I had a, like, I lost a little bit of respect for him. It's <laughs> like, that is, that was kind of a weak diss, dude. Is college quarterback ass. Yeah, it's like, uh, now it sounds like you're whining. You're doing well. Scoring uh, checks. Yeah. Asshole downs, <laughs> yeah, it's getting all the cheerleaders, <laughs> all that stuff. All right, so during all that stuff, this is where we get the first kill. I mean, aside from what we think, perhaps earlier, uh, second yeah, kill, yeah. wink, <laughs> huge wink, second kill, uh, which is actually pretty decent. It's actually one of the few on-screen deaths that we get to see that has a little bit of blood and gore, if you want to yeah. call it gore, and was a reshoot, yeah. Which is interesting, too, because... Which makes a lot of sense, because the studio probably mandated... Well, the studio did mandate the reshoot, because otherwise, you in a slasher movie, you didn't yeah. have a, a kill until... <laughs> Jesus. A between while. Him, yeah, between him and maybe Barry? Yeah, Barry. Yeah, later on. I mean, much later on. And so they felt like the killer didn't produce enough of a threat. But the other thing is, the studio also wanted the movie to be more bloody to begin with. You're right. And I think it was Gillespie, actually, the director. He's like, no, tone it down. I want the studio's version. Yeah, that would have been. Mm. For this, too, I can With see. With the hook? Come yeah. On, give me well, some, that's what I'm getting at. It's actually, he's actually a really decent fucking, considering the coast, right? Considering mm-hmm. it's already all these red herrings all over the place because it's a coastal town. Everybody's wearing fucking slickers. <laughs> Everybody's a suspect. It could be. That would be kind of interesting to see a little bit more of that. But getting back to Johnny Galecki, he gets it right through his the bottom part right here. Yeah, that was dope. And just gets dragged. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that was decent, right? Okay, okay. 
So and this is where Julie talks to Ray after his encounter because that's where they find out that he's actually a fisherman now too. That's where he's at. He's actually down by the docks, right? Right. Okay. So Helen, Sarah, she dips out. They have their little talk. And while they're having that talk, she's basically telling them, she's like, I really don't want to know you. <laughs> right? This is what I, I wrote down because this is fucking funny. I didn't notice it until my second time through. Okay. I was like, this bitch likes to run away from Ray. <laughs> this is runaway Ray because it's going to make sense. This Note it down. First time she runs away from him, right? She's in the, the overalls and then she runs down the dock. Yeah. She runs away from him. That's the first time. <laughs> All right. All right. This is a little bit before Max gets hooked. All right. And this is where I think Barry's starting to work out at the gym, at the little small fucking gym, the makeshift gym. Yeah, yeah. Because while that's happening, you know, he's taking a shower. He gets the the photo. And it's like, this is funny when you start matching it up with Scary Movie because this is the, the little micro dick shot. Yeah. <laughs> but it said it's a picture of his, his beamer out front. And on the back, it says, I know. I know. Yeah. And I was like, okay. He goes outside afterward because he's like, anybody else in here? No. He goes out and hears his, well, his jacket's missing. Yeah. Right? I was like, oh, shit, where's my car? He goes out and the dude, dude where's you gotta, my car? Dude, where's my car? You got to give the guy credit. He backed that motherfucker up straight. <laughs> That's not easy to do. Yeah. Turns the headlights on. He still thinks it's Max fucking with him. Gets chased down. Gets knocked, actually. Gets run yeah, into. He gets kind of fucked up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, pretty good. And I was like, oh, damn, he's going to get off this early? The first time through, I was like, damn, I don't remember him getting off this early. He doesn't. He winds up waking up in the hospital. I wish you found out more about that. That scene? Yeah. He says something, right? But you really, because... I think all he does is, like, he's yelling for help and stuff. Yeah. That's all it really amounts to, for the most but part. But dude, like, walks up on him. Yeah, he stands over him, and he maybe he just blacked out at that point. And whipped the dong out on him and passed out. <laughs> is we going to do this? It's going to be me passed out. He wakes up in the hospital. All right, so this I have to mention this too. A little deviations here and there mm-hmm. in the novel and in the film. Barry does end up in the hospital, but for two separate reasons. Okay, right? in the novel, Barry I believe gets a phone call, and the guy on the phone tells him he's got some photos and shit, you know, that implicates him in the hit and run. Okay, and Barry goes to meet him at a football field, and when he goes out there on the field, he gets shot. And the bullet gets lodged in his spine, so they think he might, you know, be paralyzed. Oh, shit. Okay. So that's why everybody meets up at the hospital. In this, of course, he gets hit by the car. Mm-hmm. But he's not crippled. <laughs> right? At best, he's been telling him for the 40th fucking time, I couldn't see the guy's face. But he does end up dead, whereas he's alive in the book. So Right. Which is, <laughs> you know, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> right? All right. I kind of like this a little bit because this is another little red herring they throw out because it's like, oh, isn't this convenient? Like, all this shit's happening and you fucking, you're nowhere to be found. He's talking about Ray. Oh, yeah. He's like, what the fuck, bro? Well, no, you got a slicker. All right. And then after they're having all this, they decide they're looking for the killer. Mm-hmm. All right. The hook guy, the person who gave them. They don't know this at this point. That's a hook guy. They just know that it's somebody who's been sending them threatening letters. And at this point... You know, it's it's getting to the point where they're getting threatened with their life, right? Right. And they have a little bit of pieces because um, we do find out Jennifer Love Hewitt. She's been doing research, right? She knows David Egan, who they hit, apparently. And they do a little bit of research. They find out before that. They decide they're going to do some research, look for relatives or anybody associated. They're going to ask some questions, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's connections there. <laughs> and uh, this is... <laughs> 
This is the second time Jennifer Love you <laughs> from Freddie Prince. <laughs> the girls are walking out with Freddie Prince, okay? right? And they get to you know the steps or the elevator. Yeah, yeah. Right, and they're having their conversation there, and the same thing is like you you don't get it, Ray. It's just like we're not a thing. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And then she runs down the stairs. She runs off. I was like, oh, that's funny. That's the second that's time. That's two. That's two. There's another one later. <laughs> right. Well, I know at least one other one later on. Yeah. Is that it or is there more? I will find out. Okay. <laughs> All right. After that, this is where Julie and Helen, which is the girls, right? They're driving yeah. down. They find out uh, about Susie Willis's death. They're online. Mm-hmm. Right? I was like, oh, shit. There's actually, this is the nerd of me. I, I stopped it, and I was like, oh, damn. I was reading through the article. I wanted to see if they were actually writing shit for the articles or not. Yeah, what was the article? All right, the article. Did they write something for it, or did they They did. They, okay. did. they did. They did. It was actually pretty decent. But, but. But, okay. <laughs> when you're reading, like, the paper, you know, they give, like, a little obit section. But, of course, this is the online version of it. Yeah. She has different tabs open. You can see that. One of them is like Marlins win 4A championship, second year in a row, whatever. But in the one that they're reading, because they find out about Anne Heche, her character, yeah. and the mom, and whatever. <laughs> but if you keep reading like past that in the article, it says, uh, he lead the Dolphins. To, and I was like, oh, shit, there's a, there's a misspell right here. <laughs> Somebody was just like typing real fast and didn't give a fuck. Right. Because on the side, there's another like divide where there's a scroll screen, but oh, okay. it's another section of that same page. Yeah, yeah. And it just keeps repeating itself. Uh, if yeah, you try yeah. to read it, it just re- it's the same shit looped. <laughs> like, all right, this is some shit I used to fuck with back in that time period, too. <laughs> it's nerdy stuff. Anyway. That's awesome. The point of this story is they find out about Anne Heche. That's what I said, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, shit, they live out in the sticks. So they take a ride. They sell her a story. They find her. Which is a weird way of finding Anne Heche because it looks like, what the fuck are you doing, Jennifer Love Hewitt, trying to break into houses? <laughs> right. But they all go inside. They do. It's it's cordial. <laughs> well, let's all go uh, inside. Sarah's going to make a call to AAA. She gets spooked by the slicker, rightfully so, under the circumstances, right? They're having their little conversation, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Anne Heche, that is, right? And I think this is where, she, doesn't she mention a guy came by? Billy Blue, something yeah, like that. Yeah, Billy Blue. Yeah, and I think this is too where they learn about the, the like the tattoo on David's arm. Mm-hmm. Like she's recalling it. She's like, "Oh yeah, it, it had." It's just like, no. I think that plays out later on, but she had that in her mind. But this is where they learn that Billy Blue visited earlier, and they think maybe that's like a dude that was in the same class as her brother, right? Why else? Maybe he's associated. That's their next course of action is to look for this Billy Blue character. This is, too, where there's a cheap jump scare as a road down. <laughs> Fucking Anne Heche with the cigarettes. You oh, forgot yeah. your cigarettes. Car started right up. Damn this thing. That was a really weird way to found on the window. I know. It got me a little bit, too, because fucking... I was zoning out a little bit. <laughs> and then she does that. I was like, you motherfucker. <laughs> you caught me. Yeah, you caught me slipping. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is where Jennifer Love Hewitt's a little bit of a bitch. Sarah's character is just like, you know. She's like, I miss you. She's like, what happened to us? She's like, there is no us, basically. I was like, damn. She's like, there's a lot of stuff happening between us. Uh, but she basically, she's dropping off Sarah Michelle Geller. She drops her off at the house. Apparently, the guy's been following, right? Because he, mm-hmm. he slips in. The dad's is absently watching baseball. So one of my favorite parts of this movie, especially upon rewatch, I love 
the detail where they actually show that he slips upstairs before she even gets up there. It's just like a split second. Yeah. It's so, at the time, Rather than showing, because usually you get it the other way around. Yeah. Like, she's there, and once she's up there, you get hints that he's followed. Yeah, exactly. In one way or another. No, it's just, like, slick. The movements are slick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, too. There's really good transitions, too, in this film. What I kind of do like in between the moving around the movements, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, there's another one. I'm pretty sure it's later, but it really stood out to me, and... God, fuck, Jennifer Love Hewitt gets a phone call, and she goes to rush outside, and the camera is outside her window, mm-hmm. up on the second story, when she gets the phone call, and she slams down the phone and goes to run and go downstairs, and the camera doesn't follow her, it just moves down, and she yeah. disappears, and then comes back out the house, and it looks really there's cool. some Yeah, like I said, there's some cool shots, mm-hmm. some good technicians in this, but like I said, he's in the house, right? This is what I do like about this, too, is you're expecting something to happen to her at this moment because she's upstairs, she's changed, he's in her room, right? We know that. But who does she bump into is Elsa. <laughs> she's, like, basically telling her, she's, like, pathetic. She's like, I need you to open. We got inventory. I was like, ooh, those are dreaded words. <laughs> and yeah, our, right? Ugh. Yeah, I, I can uh, relate. Yeah. But she can't. She's got to be there. She's, you know, she has to. She's part of the parade. She's got to be there. And but she's vain over her hair because she's combing her hair. Well, she's being vain over it, and Elsa throws it in her face at the end. But I kind of like it on her. But I kind of love the fact that she's just like, "Look, bitch, I ain't got a choice." Yeah, (laughs) yeah. There's nothing I can do. (laughs) I'm calling in sick, bitch. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Uh, But she wakes up right the next morning. Hair's all fucking mess, right? (laughs) So she's got that going on. Because they're dropping clues, right? They know that she's vain. This is something I kind of do like, is Jennifer Love Hewitt's, you know, driving her car. I guess she's going to go pay mm-hmm. Helen a visit, whatever. But when she's doing that, she's hearing the scratching. She looks in the back seat because she hears the scratch. She's getting paranoid. She stops. And the first thing I wrote down, because I was like, man, if there's anything that reminds me of the South, it's the trees a lot. Because out here, you know, there's a good mix of firs and stuff like that, Douglas firs and what have yous, but uh, in the South, there's a lot of oaks. And those oaks, too, the way that they were growing, I was like, man, that right there gives it away. (laughs) And I looked up, I was like, yep, those are Carolina oaks. That's what I thought. So she stops the car, that's where she finds the body in the trunk, Mm -hmm. Max, with all the crabs and shit. And, you know, she's freaking out, you know, granted. And this is where, this is like fan theory, so keep this in mind. (laughs) There's a car that blows by her, like conks the horn because she's freaking out. She's running the road and yeah. whatnot. I've read that you could argue that that was the guy. Right. Honking his horn, fucking with her. That's kind of what I figured. Right? And then she darts. She just runs. In relation to where she's at and where she runs, it seems like there's a short distance, but we don't know for certain right. that it was a short run. I would argue that the way it's cut indicates short. That's what I was thinking, too. But that's the cut, so there's not a definitive answer is what I'm right. getting at. So if we're using movie logic, you could also argue that in the time that it took her to get there, tell the story, and then come back, you could argue that it gave him enough time to get the body, get the crabs, clean it up. But I'm like, not that fucking meticulous, man. You're going to smell that stuff. I don't care how good you are in cleaning. <laughs> and yeah. there's no way. Somebody would have noticed. Somebody would have noticed the cleanup I mean, if job. You, if, you had, if you had laid down and 
lined everything with some sort of tarp or liner. Perhaps. You could just pull it all out in one go, but... But he would have had it done that. The way it's cut and everything... Yeah. It's right. fucked. It's the way stupid. I would argue this, it was like, all right, well, hold on. We do know, unless he did this before he snuck into Helen's house, like while they were out driving around doing all their shit, I was like, even then it still wouldn't make sense because she had the, the car the whole time. So there's no way he could have planned it out from the time that Jennifer Love Hewitt dropped off Sarah Michelle Geller, right? Right. And that was the night that he cut the hair, but it's also the next morning where hair's fucked up, disheveled, that Jennifer Love Hewitt's driving to her house. Mm-hmm. So in the course of that, when did he cut her hair, and when did he go sneak off and, and put the body in the trunk? It had to have been somewhere it, after if, nightfall. Even if you set up... That's so quick. Even if you set up the liner for quick cleanup... Yeah. You have to set that up. You have to get the body in there. All this fucking crap. Yeah, I'm just trying to line this up time-wise. <laughs> like, that's a lot of effort. All without being caught. Yeah, and, and you know, oh, I'll say this. You know in southern towns, especially in sleepy little towns, podunk towns, gossip is the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> People are watching. They're taking note. Whether you know it or not, it's going to get around. Like, especially somebody doing some shit like that, like... What the fuck are you doing with that car? Who is this? Why are you in this neighborhood? Are you pouring crabs in a trunk? It's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> it doesn't go in there. <laughs> yeah, so I just don't buy it, even with the fan theories. Like, yeah, you can make the argument that he he had enough time to, to clean up, but you got to reverse engineer this. It's like he only had a short window to put the body and the crabs and all that shit in there in the first place. That's what I'm getting at. That's my argument. So this skips ahead just a little bit. Yeah. But it's my next note, and I I just want to <laughs> talk about it. I really wish that instead of a quarterback, they would have made Ryan's character a fucking linebacker so that they just would have had him fucking spear the old man. <laughs> that shit is so funny. But even then, too, I was like, not even a, a slight apology or nothing. No. He's just like, where'd he go? <laughs> where'd he get off to? It's like, that. he probably fucking gave that old guy a heart attack. <laughs> Asshole. All right, anyway, long story short. I was skipping ahead like eight minutes. But. This is kind of neat, too. This is the infamous scene is kind of what this is all raveling out to be, right? You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so once Jennifer Love Hewitt mentions what she found, they all come back, right? There's nothing in there. And she's like, I'm not making this shit up. And, you know, Sarah Michelle, her character, got to give her credit. She's like, I believe you. Yep. You know, she's like, I've already seen enough weird shit. There's enough weird shit happening where I believe you. <laughs> and Jennifer Love Hewitt does the... What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> Shit's so funny. But I didn't I didn't know this. That was actually a line. That whole scene is credited to, to a contest that a kid won and got to actually like write that oh, scene shit. for the film. Okay. And I heard that there was some pushback, of course, because a kid wrote it. Right. And Jennifer Love Hewitt wasn't really into like she's like, Why would I do this? But they said of course after they did the scene and she watched the dailies or whatever. She's like, oh, okay. Knowing the brevity of what's going on, it's like, yeah, it would, that makes sense that she would have a freak out moment. Yeah. Because it's like, what the fuck is going on? Maybe not that freak out. But right, right. But granted, too, I think they said it was like a 10-year-old kid who wrote that. The thing I felt like this movie was missing that seemed more in line with her character is I feel like her character would have been crying more. Yeah. Because she's depressed, like she's like, coming back to the situation where it's like she has to relive this all over again, but in ten times worse. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I see what you're saying. A, a lot more emotional. That's more just the air that she gives off to me, I guess. Yeah, good point. That's more, a good more like they would. And who knows? I mean, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, people I, are affected the way they're affected. I'm just saying that... I want to make an argument here in a little bit because of some of the stuff that's about to happen between the girls. I'm going to make an argument. <laughs> All right. Long story short, this is where, like you were saying, old Rake just comes out of nowhere. Right? He's like, what's going on, guys? Right? <laughs> and your boy punches him, sucker punches him. Right? Drops him. This is where he could have speared him like fucking yeah. Goldberg. <laughs> right? And um, I'm like, man, this is a flat line. I, I kind of feel bad for saying this about Freddie Prince, but he's not, he's kind of the weakest link in the group. No, I was jumping ahead even further to the old man in the rain. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. even this, too, would have been perfect for him to do. <laughs> but he tells him, he's like, you know, they're like, look, I got hit by a car. She got her hair cut, all, you know, fucking like toss salad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Max's body or whatever, there's dead bodies in the back mm-hmm. of her trunk. Right. Even though none of them saw it. He's like, where? Yeah. He's like, where, where have you been the whole time? He's like, oh, I got a letter. <laughs> He's like, oh boy, you got a fucking letter. Big whoop de doo. I couldn't believe how much I was on fucking Barry's side in that moment. Yeah. I'm like, you getting a letter still makes you seem suspicious right now because none of this other bullshit has happened Thank you. to you. And the way he delivers it, and, and this is where I think that the writing is clever. I know it's not you, but right. But because I had, the first time through I hadn't seen this in so long, I was like, I don't remember Freddie Prinze being the killer. Because they're making you believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're this device. They're like, no. <laughs> this is kind of funny because they're like, well, you know, we this is the information we found the girls are telling them. You know, about Billy Blue, this character. He's like, oh, we don't have to do all that. Because they're talking about yearbooks. And it's like, we pull them out like mug shots. And he's already like, because we learned later on what, yeah. he, what his involvement was with that whole shit. Anyway, Julie wants to revisit Missy. Like, fuck Ray, right? Jennifer Love Hewitt wants to go back out to see Missy Egan. Show her, like, the yearbook and see if maybe they can find Billy Blue through the mm-hmm. yearbook. Barry plans on protecting Sarah Michelle Gellar's character during the parade, and Ray's just going to fuck off. <laughs> Basically. All right, so when Jennifer Love Hewitt does arrive back yeah, to yeah. see Anne Heche, that's where the Lead Belly song is playing. Where did you sleep last night? That's All right. right. That's really awesome. So... Jennifer Love Hewitt, when she goes out to see Anne Heche, and mm-hmm. this is skipping, like, the, the revelation and shit comes in a right. little bit. But yeah, yeah, After the revelation, like, it's obviously, like, a really weird, tense, like, I gotta get out of here, because that was really weird. Yeah, exactly. Because she, like, has a knife and shit. After the events Would of you all want... of this, do you think, like, Jennifer Love Hewitt ever, like, went back and was like, sorry about that, I got it wrong, but... This is what happened, in case you wanted to know why I freaked out, because I think you're kind of a nice person. Yeah, it's like... Instead of just leaving her with, like, that... I know, it's just... Super fucked up, and, like, the first time they came around, Anne Heche was even like, guys can come back sometime. Yeah, she, like, she, like, offered to make them tea and stuff. Yeah, she's like, I don't give many visitors around yeah. here. And Mom's down at the fucking, mm-hmm. you know, the hospital. She was super friendly and shit the entire time, and I'm just... I don't know. Part of me just felt See, bad for her, and I'm like, I hope, I hope after the events of this movie, Jennifer Love Hewitt's character right. went back and was like a good friend to her. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's like one of the far reach red herrings in this film, mm-hmm. you know. But we, you already know, you can dismiss all that. Even her showing up with that knife was pretty stupid. I'm like, yeah. she obviously hasn't done anything. No, she's out there like chopping up fish and shit. Yeah, and the movie frames it like it's a red herring, and I'm yeah. like, no, it's not. Like yeah. none of us believe this right no, now. No, exactly. It's like no, no, because what we learn. 
Not this, a single one of us believe this. This right is kind of this is what I like too. This is kind of clever. Is when she does go back out to visit her and stuff. Oh yeah, she's like, my brother didn't get killed. Right? He's like, mm-hmm. he committed suicide. I got his his letter. He's like, I had to hide this from the insurance company or else I wouldn't get a payout. Right? And Jennifer Love Hewitt gets the letter and it's like, uh, it's like I'll never forget last summer. I think that's what the letter says. So it's like, oh, that's kind of neat because it's implying that this is just a you know, no no pun intended, it's a chain reaction. Yeah. <laughs> this is the guy's mo. This is what he does. And she's like, that's not a suicide letter. That's a death threat. Right, and she's explaining what happened and whatnot. And um, if you pay attention a little bit to what she says and about the Billy Blue, she's like, "Yeah." She's mentioning him. She's like, uh, "She's like, I was sweet on him, or we were sweet on each other for like two minutes or whatever." Mm-hmm. And I, I watched this, I listened to a review, and somebody's like, "Oh yeah, they were having an affair." I was like, "Where the fuck is he talking about?" Because I was like, maybe I wasn't paying enough attention, and I rewatched that scene. I was like, "This prick." It's like this guy. I don't know what this guy was watching. Right. Uh, no, the, he was. No. He was playing her. Is what he was doing, trying to get information. Is what mm-hmm. we find out. He got the information. And he fucked did off. get the. Yeah, he did. He got the info. Got what he needed. Fucked off. But what we learn, too, right, is that the tattoo because she was like. I would have been there for Anne Hage. Yeah, Anne Hage was Got the all information. Right. Yeah. And then I would have played a little game of let's all go inside. Yeah, that's right. Everybody's inside. <laughs> and uh, wonder what's inside. <laughs> We could find out. All right. Because the tattoo, that's what tips off Jennifer. She's like, oh, my God. We didn't hit Egan, right? Mm-hmm. We hit her daddy. <clears throat> uh, dun, dun, dun. Because he was a fisherman is what we learned. Anyway, as she's racing back, right, to tell them the news, uh, the parade's going on. We catch sight of the, the guy. He's in the crowd. And then that's where Barry tackles the old guy because he's chasing him. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody's wearing a slicker, dude. He's actually up on top of the building to the theater is what we learn. He's got the hook. He's even menacing, like, like, taunting her. He's like, I'm up here. (laughs) No, I ain't candy, man. (laughs) Uh, I know what you're thinking, but I ain't candy, man. (laughs) Exactly, right? This is where they go back into the theater. That's where that lady's singing. And this is so funny, man, because even I was like... Man, is this like a teen pageant or is this a town pageant? It's a it's a town pageant, right? I was like, it's like has to be. be it has pageant. to be because it's like Croker. that might be a county pageant. It, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> and yeah, maybe only town. Yeah, I could. I it could was see, a good sized town. It was decent. Yeah, yeah, not a bad sized town. All right, but she's watching her like sing and shit. Have you ever lived anywhere that had a town pageant? I ain't never uh, lived anywhere that had a town pageant. I don't think. I don't think so. No, that I'm trying to think, weird. like, in my area, town... No, because it's mostly, like, county or whatever. Yeah. yeah. County pageants. Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird thing. <laughs> but you're right. My I mean, county didn't even have... We had, the closest thing I'd say we had a county talent show at the fair. I can see that, yeah. That's the closest thing I can think of. Yeah, pageants-wise, nah. Yeah. Uh, nah, it was mostly school. I mean, I know they happen. Oh, yeah. It's an underground thing. <laughs> you know, they happen all the time. I know time. pageants happen. Yeah. I just... I'm, I'm kind of thankful... I know some people who ran for pageants. See? I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of thankful I've never lived anywhere that has a town pageant. Yeah, no, no, I can't say town. I can't say town. That'd just be weird. <laughs> but, but you're right, though. It is a thing. So there it's, you go. Sorry if we're offended anybody. <laughs> I, I ain't sorry. Fuck no, your town pageant. <laughs> no, I mean, it is, it is a thing. It is, it is a thing. It's like, you know, whatever. If you like it, that's cool. It's not my thing, but whatever. All right. Barry gets it, right? That's what it amounts to. But before that, I was kind of giggling a little bit because he's Michelle Geller. You can see her smile a little bit. She's like, this is goofy as fuck. 
But this where it makes sense too, where I said like if if you um, keep the part where she's like popping pills and shit, it's kind of neat because at the beginning of the film they kind of do the same thing. Is where let's see, Freddie Prince and Ryan and Jennifer Love are up there yeah, yeah. at the beginning during the beauty pageant, and you see that the lights are kind of blinding from the stage. Mm-hmm. You can barely make out. I was like, okay, that's kind of clever because you, it doesn't make you think about that during this scene, but it's the same thing, right? When she's looking up, she can barely make it out, but Barry is getting got. Yeah. <laughs> right. But the thing with the pill popping is that I read that uh, the way that it triggered her is like she was you know being nervous on stage and she dropped pills and when she looked up she saw barry getting oh or like being attacked because in the book he does oh, oh excuse me in the movie uh, getting crossed up so yeah in this movie that's where she's supposed to see that happen and that's why she's getting frantic in the crowd because people think and she's like loopy so the, i mean i do want to point out though that not one person in that crowd even looked Considered. once to see what she was pointing at no, we're like, what the fuck are you? Everyone we're trying to watch a beauty pageant. If somebody is yelling at some, yelling something, you don't even know what they're yelling. Oh or no, if they're no, yelling yeah. something stupid. Shit and stops immediately. Somewhere, yeah, you're looking where they're pointing at least like, once, right? Fuck? Yeah. And, but she's like, up there, up there, he's getting killed. He's... No, everyone's just staring at her. Everyone just. They're basically telling her to quit acting out because we're trying to watch a show. <laughs> <laughs> like, bitch, this is my jam. Yeah. You know, you just interrupted. My shit. Sit your ass down, Buffy. It's my shit. <laughs> All right. Barry got got. When they go back up there, the body's Take gone. Take your watcher. Watch. <laughs> Watch. <laughs> <laughs> Barry's gone, right? When they go up there to, to see where it's at. And the officer, he's like, I'll drive you home, you crazy Which, bitch. This time, there's no way that they're covering up his blood. No way. There's absolutely no way. And that amount of. No. No. Nope. 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 I'm going to talk about later, but I've seen the actual size of that theater. Not like in person, but somebody did like a, a fan visit of all the sites where this film was shot. Uh, yeah, yeah. No. Nope. Even inside the theater, there's no fucking way. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ain't happening. Except the officer is driving Sarah Michelle Geller home. Why did he put her in the back seat? You know, I mean, I know why the doors are locked, but why not just put her in the front seat? I don't know. Uh, for movie logic, sort of I understand. Yes, yeah, like for movies, logic, I understand. She had to be back there for the movie's sake. But I don't know, man. I don't know if there's some sort of protocol or not since he's actually driving somewhere. Yeah. I know that, like, when the cops caught us in college and I got an MIP, like, it was cool for me to go sit in the passenger seat for him to fucking question me. So yeah. I know you can sit there for at least a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's like even for, she mentioned, even for like a little Mayberry town, there's no need for that. She wasn't acting that delirious. I'd say for his protection, he's like, maybe, I don't know what she's capable of doing. <laughs> I think he was hoping one of us was going to reach for the shotgun. Because <laughs> it was right there. I was like, uh, this yeah. is awkward for me right now, sir, because I don't like that I'm in this situation and I'm a little bit inebriated and you put a shotgun very close to my hands. <laughs> yeah, that's not cool, dude. <laughs> don't even tempt. Yeah, but what happens is they have to take the alley because the fucking road's blocked off because of the parade. You already know that's trouble. Alleys are always trouble. Stay away from alleys. And, of course, they run into a broken-down truck. And she's freaking out. She's like, don't do it. The cop goes out to give a hand, of course. And uh, this is not the first time this happens in the film where somebody screams and somebody gets yacked because it draws the attention away. Mm-hmm. But she's screaming. She's like, that's the guy. That's the fucking guy. He's like, what the fuck is... What, what's wrong with you, girl? What? He gets yacked. 
<laughs> she breaks out. And this is where I could tend to agree with this a little bit, is that this is argue that this whole sequence from this point to mm-hmm. where she meets her demise is one of the best, like, for slashers, one oh, of the base chess Yeah, this chasings. is a great chase. Yeah. This is a fantastic And I was like, chase. I tend to agree with that. Primarily, not just because of the chase, but because of the score mm. that accompanies it, because it heightens the tension, it puts the emphasis on that. It's like, it's it was really well done, man, because I like that. From the time she breaks out of the car, runs up to, you know, banging on the door for Elsa to open up, it's like, the whole time you feel dread and tension, because he's right fucking behind her. There's no way, though, that Elsa didn't see anybody. Oh, dude. With how close yeah. they showed that he got. And I'm not just talking about, like, the point of view camera. Like, no, they definitively just... showed him walking up to a certain And it breaks off, right, to go, I guess, around the other side. Yeah, and there's no way Elsa didn't see anybody. All right. Film sense, why aren't they both locked, front and back door? That's the first argument. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and B, how would he know that one of them is unlocked? Right? I mean, deduction would be like, oh, well, she's got this side locked. It fucking, it's probably locked completely. No, this fucking takes off I mean, I off still understand him going and trying. Right, but. right. You can't, that's what I'm saying. You can't fault him there. But why would she, being the responsible one, leave at least one of them unlocked? That makes no sense. <laughs> she fucked up. And I'm talking about Bridget Wilson's character. That's right. Fucked up. She fucked up. But by the time she lets in Buffy... <laughs> Right. It's okay, though, because in this movie, she gets to be Bridget Wilson instead of an ugly redhead. Right. <laughs> yeah, because in the book, yeah, she's uh, slightly overweight. She's jealous of her younger sister, who is now, I mean, keep in mind, they were talking about the book. She's a weather girl, I think, or like a newscaster yeah, for the local, time. like, yeah. So she's actually, in the, her time period, the difference between Sir Michelle Geller's Helen in this and the, the novels, Helen in the novel actually was like, she actually had an upward trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in this, you know, she fell to New York and came back home and pretty much getting shamed by her sister. Yeah, she maybe wasn't like a huge star on Hollywood, but she was working in the industry she wanted to and yeah. was gradually on her way up. I was like, that's up, so. kind of funny, maybe coincidental, maybe a little bit of irony here because A, Sarah Michelle Geller is from New York, Long <laughs> Island, and yeah, she did make it. <laughs> Unlike her character. But, uh, yeah, her sister in the novel is supposed to be, like you say, and like Ginger and, you know, jealous of her sister or whatnot. But anyway, Sarah Michelle Geller is making the phone call to the cops. Her sister goes to lock up the front. Her sister gets whacked, which is good. That's the only, I think, the, well, considering the cop, maybe the third on-screen death that you see with a little bit of blood. Right. They were actually trying to cut that out. But I think that's where the studio is like, you have to play it up, the slasher element. Yeah. You know, otherwise you're just showing all off-screen deaths, and that's kind of lame. The studio wanted on-screen death. Gillespie wanted it out. Yeah, um, compromised. They compromised on the cutaway and the blood. Yeah. I think they wanted it to be a little bit more intense, like her, like, smearing down the glass Mm -hmm. and shit. Like, no, just get it out of here. (laughs) Granted, though, like, the bathroom scene where you find her corpse, it's like, that wasn't bad. No. That was like, I would have liked to have seen that. (laughs) <laughs> that's a whole different movie <laughs> and him just carting her fucking corpse with the fucking yeah just hook like, was kind of gnarly i wasn't expecting was. that shit i was like damn that's makes sense All right. <laughs> he does that for a living cool. <laughs> that was gnarly why didn't uh sarah michelle geller's character just leave the phone ringing she didn't even have to hang up just leave it ringing and if someone picks up they could have traced it yeah 
Right. She doesn't. I mean, it starts a, a whole that's chasing another one again. of those things. I understand not thinking about that in the moment. Yeah, oh, either. of course, of course. She's in a panic the whole yeah. time. This starts the second part of the chase, and this is the really good part. And this is where the argument I was going to make, there's two arguments I want to make, but A, between the two girls. Because in this film, Sarah Michelle Gellar should have been a scream queen. Yeah. Yeah. Someone really fucked up there somewhere in the studios. She can belt. She does a really good job. And it's authentic, too. Like, you kind of feel the emotion mm-hmm. that she's going through. She's panicking. She's making good decisions, though. She's getting out. The one scene, though, that really pisses me off, probably pisses off 99% of the people who watch this film, she makes it all the way through that alley, and she's got the clear, you know, and she, she makes that one split decision to turn around, and boom, he's there. I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> So close. Why? So close. Ah, uh, that that scene does frustrate me, man. But I understand. She was one of the two people who actually pushed them into the fucking water. You can see the fists missing, but like that that was violent. Overhead shot is fucking violent. Yeah, it is. I mean, between those tires, yeah, he fucked her up. That, like, if they wanted to lean into it a little bit more hardcore, like. I would say like maniac style, mm-hmm. either old school or the Elijah Wood. Either way, that's one of those scenes that that's made for. It's like that's a br- hyper brutal scene. You know, for a teen movie, of course, they're going to cut that away, but golden chance to redo it. Yeah. Because <laughs> that could be one of those vicious and like gut wrenching ones too. Because it's like, ah, I didn't want her to die, but she dies. All right. So close, man. Unfortunate. All right. Julie, of course, Jennifer Love Hewitt. She gets to the theater when everything's done. Fuck. She winds up, I think, running into Ray, right? Right. Right. And she's, like, telling him what's going on. They're looking for Barry and Helen. And he's like, you know, just come on to my ship, (laughs) my houseboat, and we'll talk about our course of actions, our plans, whatever. And then she notices... The slicker. No. Oh, no, no, no. She notices the Billy Blue. That's right. And he's like, oh, whoa, whoa. So that's the big red herring, right? (coughs) Like, this motherfucker. Because now this is, like, towards the end of the film... But we, I mean, we know it's not him, but they're throwing the red herring out there. That's the third time she runs away. <laughs> I remember that that's when she ran. I couldn't yeah. remember that it was the best. Uh, that's the last time. So third time is a charm. She runs away. He gets clotheslined, whatever, from the fisherman. She's like, yeah, you just run onto my boat, call for help. But when she does that, that's where she makes the discovery. He has, like, that little, like, memorial mementos of Susie, mm-hmm. like his daughter, in the boat. She noticed it. She's like, oh, fuck. Dun, dun, dun. Right, and she like runs, and he's like, "What's what's big hurry?" And that's where he like acknowledges that she's aware, and they know who each other are. Shouldn't you be off partying? And yeah, drinking, getting drunk and hitting people, hitting people, getting away with murder. <laughs> yeah, she's like you didn't die though, prick. I know you fucking asshole. <laughs> we probably did you a favor, dickhead. <laughs> no shit, dude. Because if they would have done the smart thing and turned him in, yeah, they would have realized he was alive. And what was he doing up there in the first place? Killing homeboy. Yeah, they would have made the connection. That's, oh, that makes sense. Your daughter. Because once they found the kid's body, they would have made that connection. Yep. Yep. He so only they got did him a huge favor. For a year did him a huge fucking favor. Because they jumped him for dead. He should have just been like, you know what? I'm going to kill everybody else except you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Good looking out. <laughs> the boat's leaving their little harbor. Jennifer Love Hewitt's, she's playing hide-and-seek in the boat. And this is where I made that distinction. It's like the way that she's 
doing her chase scene, right? Mm-hmm. And in comparison to Sarah Michelle Gellar's, it's like hers is more eye candy. I feel like for obvious reasons, she has the assets. It's not bad, but it's like given the stuff that I know and this. Look. <laughs> It's a line from the movie, right? In the beginning, Freddie Prince is pointing out that he didn't realize how ample Sarah Michelle Gellar's breasts are. I had forgotten how ample Jennifer Love Hewitt's breasts are. I never forget, Day. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't forgotten. I was like, (laughs) I I get it. I I was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, she's stacked. I forgot. Yeah, yeah, she's playing with a full deck, (laughs) and you know they're making the most of that opportunity. One thing I will say is. During that whole chase scene where she's at in that compartment, right? She's down in the ice storage. Yeah, yeah. I was like, A, her headlights would have been on full beams. And they ain't. They're not because the ice that they use was actually gelatin in this film. Which makes right. sense because I, that ice would have been so have been fucking cold. Looking. Yeah, exactly. She would, I mean, look, anybody who's Caucasian, <laughs> who's been around cold temperatures, we get pink. Yeah. She's white. She would have been pink the whole time and perky. None of that happens, right? And it just would have sucked in general. She wouldn't have been able right. to not like physically react in some way. And she's just moving that shit around. Yeah, no problem. But she finds the corpses of Barry and Helen in there, which not the best molds I've ever seen. Not but the not worst. Bad. No, not bad. it just lets you know what happened to them. Definitively them. Yeah, definitively, without question. It's um, not like I was like, who is that? No. Yeah. At least we know where the corpses are at. Never find out what happened to Max's corpse. Oh, yeah, because once... What happened to him once he got him back from the trunk? Uh, went back to being crab bait. Dude, he's a fisherman. Yeah, that's a good point. Damn, unfortunate, Max. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Long story short is Freddie Prince decides he wants to be Peter Pan and jump on the ship, right? Does all that stupid shit. She escapes after those insert shots. She's, like, going in between compartments, and she finally comes out the hatch... Yeah. And then Freddie Prince like swings that hook down. Yeah, yeah. Knocks him back. He has the Undertaker slash Jason Voorhees, you know, he's still got life in him because he's still trying to get revenge for his daughter. <laughs> Whatever. And for him almost getting killed. And uh he fucks up Freddie Prince pretty decent. He goes to do the death shot to Jennifer Love Hewitt, but he gets caught up in the the ropes. Freddie Prince like, you know, Wherever pulls you on kill the kill a guy, make sure he's really dead. It's and good sound advice. Then they don't. They do it multiple times in this film. Like, after he gets, boom, beamed, you got to do a headshot. You got to make sure he's knocked out or something, right? You got to fuck him up good. Do a couple of curb stomps. <laughs> something, right? Literally right after they get done being told. Uh, this is where I kind of giggled a little bit. It's like, man, this is kind of janky ending. It's, it's decent. Really sudden. It's, it is. It's sudden. It's weird. It's kind of comical. Because what it amounts to is uh, Freddie Prince pulls like that lever or whatever, the winch, yeah, and pulls his ass up to the mast where he gets his hand clean, cut off, like severed. <laughs> He's still hanging from the ropes, but because it's coming on that pulley, he gets swung out into the ocean, and that's pretty much the end of him. Dun, or dun, so dun. we, yeah, and then of course they're back in the town. The cops are making their sweep or whatever. And they have the exchange, and this is where I had to write that down, that exchange they had earlier on. The way it plays out and what he says to her and shit, I'm like, man, this is so fucking corny, right? But I didn't realize it until... It was a callback. Oh, it was so the this callback. is the I feel your pain? Right, because so he's like, you know, he was explaining to her and apologizing at the same time, like, what he did as Billy Blue. He's getting the information, right? He's like, I had to know. I wanted to know, too. 
He's like, I was just hiding it from you guys, basically. I guess he's trying to be sensitive, mm-hmm. right? And then he gets to the point where he has that same line. He's like, nobody gets me like you do. She's like, I feel your pain. And then they hug. And I was like, man, that was so fucking hokey, <laughs> right? But then the cops are like, we found this, but we haven't found the body. It's only a matter of time. And, of course, it's the fucking hook, the hand yeah. hook, right? All right, everything seems hunky-dory. One year later, so it's two summers removed from the beginning of the film, three summers removed from the girl actually getting, you know, killed. killed. So it took three summers for all this shit to really kind of simmer down a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Everything seems to be good. Julie's back at college. She's having a phone conversation with Ray, right? They were she's making, obviously back perky again. Yeah, her hair is really nice. She's very voluptuous. She's stacked again. This like, scene, dude, Jennifer Love Hewitt saying, you can ravage me. In two weeks, I'm like, whew, you'd be lucky if it's two seconds. <laughs> Nano. <laughs> Oof. But, yeah, the whole point is, like, they're making plans for New York, right? Two weeks, we can do all that stuff. I'm getting ready, whatever. Her roommate is like, yeah, I got a letter for you. I'm just going to drop it off here. So she goes out to check the letter, and it's actually an invitation. I read that that's actually a real fraternity. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, whatever. It's kind of neat. Misdirection, because when she goes back to the showers, it's all steamy. You see the I still know, really well written. (laughs) Right? And then, of course, you get the crash through. Later revealed to be a nightmare in the sequel. Right, so retconned. Yeah, I got retconned in the sequel. So yeah, that, that's the film. But yeah, like watching the first time, I was kind of like, eh. Is that the end of Nightmare on Elm Street? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Basically, because the first and second have nothing to do with each other. Absolutely nothing, which is yeah. awesome. Like I said, after watching this film the first time, I was kind of like, eh. The second time, I really got into it, right? And I started watching a little bit again today, just a little pass, very, very, very passively. But I was like, man, this is not a bad film. No. Um, I really enjoyed it. It made me appreciate those four actors. I really did, because it's like, not the best performance you're ever going to see, but knowing what it did for them in their careers and the reason why we still talk about them and know about them and see their works and stuff. Maybe that's just us. But. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, because it's like, these are some of the people we grew up with. This is kind of our generation, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's odd thinking like, man, most if not all of them are in their 40s right now. Not that that's odd, but just knowing that they were going from like teenagers to early 20s and now they're adults and have kids that are basically the same age <laughs> they, they were when this film mm-hmm. was made. So, you know, it makes me think about those time periods, what I was doing, of course, and... Yeah, it's just kind of, it's it's nice. Knowing, too, that Kevin Williamson was responsible for the screenplay, it makes sense for those three films, uh, Scream, This, and Urban Legend. They make so much sense. It's like, oh, this is like his trilogy. It truly, I was thinking that earlier. I was like, oh. If you're going to you make could... a box set, do a Kevin Williamson box set. This is perfect. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I mean, Scream's obviously the superior movie. Oh, no doubt. But I do feel like in some ways this movie is a lot of the better parts of both of those movies. Yeah, it it really, it shows the clever screenwriting. When you give this film multiple views, it makes things line up in the film that maybe seem a little disjointed, which makes me appreciate the writing even more in the Mm -hmm. way that things are shot and told and the red herrings are presented. It's like, it makes, it's fun. It's, It's definitely geared for that age group too. So if you're in that age demographic or like us, for nostalgic sake, it's still a fun rewatch. Yeah, no, definitely a fun rewatch. That's about all I got, though. Yeah, no, it was fun. Mm. I'm glad that we chose this one. Yeah, check it out if you haven't. And if you've listened this far, hopefully you watch it the second time. No shit.
we need to decide on next week still, don't we? Yeah, we're still kind of in, uh, yeah, in uncharted waters. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, however, in order to listen to us next week, it would be super awesome if you hit subscribe, however you're listening to us right now. Also, if you can rate and review us, however you're listening to us right now, the world is ran on algorithms, and that just makes sure that we are a part of it. Yes, please. So that would be super dope. You can also head over to the website, www.friedsquirms.com. Check out all of the back catalog there. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com. While you're over at the website, you click the links up at the top, you'll notice we are part of the Earverm Podcast Network, and you can go check out the other shows on there. I've already mentioned General Nerdery at least once during this, but you can listen to me talk about nerd shit over there. Listen to my co-host from there talk about wars and wargaming and war philosophy over on the Art of Wargaming. And there's more shit to come, and the easiest way for you to keep caught up on everything that will be coming will be just to check earverm.com that is e-a-r-v-v-y-r-m.com fried squirms across all the social medias been trying to use it more especially because i know so many people are locked down in quarantine and have nothing better to do than stare at their phones all day so (laughs) still not using it a lot but more and more so absolutely but yeah, once again, we like suggestions, recommendations for films, and once again, if you're an indie filmmaker and need some eyeballs on your film, let us know. We're always up for the challenge. Hells yeah. We're going to go figure out what we're going to cover next week. Until then, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Out. out. I still know. Huh? I still know. <laughs>